Welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, and today we're going to be covering episodes 14 through 19 of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. Um, I think we can kind of just get right into this. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I feel like I enjoyed the last seven episodes or whatever a little bit more, but I mean, these aren't bad episodes. Um, but like, okay, that's really, episode 13 is really good. Yeah. I, I think I felt the same thing. Yeah. Um, not to start off on a deflating note or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
but I feel like there's some stuff here that is like just continuing to to like build on the things that happened, but not in a way that's like really mounting. Um, then there's also setup happening here that we'll probably talk about more next time. Um, and I don't want to like spend a ton of time trying to dodge talking about the end of the the first season or whatever. But <laughs> right. um, yeah, as we are prone to do. <laughs> Um, there is one thing I just put in here, uh, but I, I don't know if you noticed it, but, um, no, I anyway, didn't. we'll, we'll get into the synopsis. I didn't notice anything new within the last several seconds. Okay. Uh, episode 14 is called, oh, how do we want to break this up? Do we just want to do all of them or do you want to, to, uh, put it into sort of, I could see us doing, um, what, like the first three and then take talking about them and then the, the last three and talking about them. Yeah, I think that's a good good approach. Those are those are kind of two arcs. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So, uh episode 14, Vessel of Hope. Um so, before they reach Earth, Tekadon is asked by Tewaz to make a delivery to the Dork colonies near Earth. On board the Isaribi, uh, Yamaji and Shino work on integrating the brewer's Alea Vignana system um into the Gray's custom. Oh, we should read the the email. Let me take a quick uh, sidestep here. Uh, we did get a corrections email. Um, not that much of a correction, but, uh, so one was, uh, pointing out, um, so the dub says Alea Vignana, uh, sort of like a, it seems like it's kind of like the tilde N sound. Um, uh, this is from Juliet. They included a, uh, clip from the dub, um, as an example. Um, also said it's kind of like lasagna. Um, I also looked up the, the actual Sanskrit on Forvo, which is a a great website where people submit pronunciations who like speak the language fluently. Um, and, uh, the Sanskrit one is a a little bit more, there's like a Vignana or something. Um, it's a little bit harder to do. Um, I might sometimes try for it, but it's like a harder uh, G. Yeah, there's like a little bit of a harder G at the beginning, um, but it's also not like Vignania or whatever. Um, yeah. Um, but also this is uh, complicated by the fact that in Japanese, it's uh, a Leashiki system. So um, anyway, because uh, that was one thing when I was watching, it, I was sometimes trying to listen to the, the Japanese, uh, but not always catching it because I was specifically having my ears peeled for like a, a V sound because that's mm-hmm. really uncommon in Japanese and never getting it. So <laughs> um, the other thing that Juliet pointed out, which I think we talked about a little bit last time, um, but uh, is that you can. Uh, like a lot of people think that the ages of the main cast are actually pretty similar. Um, and that Atra and Mikazuki are especially short for their age due to the maltrition from, um, you know, uh, Juliet says from poverty, especially when they were young. Uh, I think we talked about that specifically with Atra, but I didn't fully apply it to, to Mikazuki. Um, also thing I was thinking after I read this is, um, this is also getting contrasted with, uh, uh, Kudelia having mm-hmm. like, you know, long, uh, you know, luscious, uh, blonde hair and stuff. Like she yeah. has this, uh, appearance of like, she has never experienced that, that childhood starvation in the way that some of the cast has. Um, but yeah, I, especially when I was watching these episodes, there's some parts where Kudelia, uh, is not just like in the, the hoodie, 
uh, that I feel like actually makes her look even more childish because it kind of like makes her f- seem a little bit more, um, I guess just like one just like has this certain amount of like hiding down in the, mm-hmm. the hoodie. Um, and so, yeah, there's these moments where I was like, oh yeah, I think she is probably like actually probably closer to Cudelia's age and is just, um, you know, has not like, uh, or has had the like growth issues that happens with malnutrition and starvation. So, um, cause she did look a little bit more adult sometimes, but I think there's also a thing happening there. Anyway, let's, I'll, I'll restart this synopsis for episode 14. Um, but I just wanted to note those. Thank you, Juliet, for sending those in. Um, so, uh, before they reach earth, uh, Tekadon is tasked by Tewaz to make a delivery to the Dork colonies near earth. On board the Isaribi, Yamachi and Shino work on integrating the brewer's Alea Vignana system into the Grace custom. Fumitan receives orders from her true boss, Noblesse Gordon, uh, detailing the assassination of Kudelia, uh, but she is interrupted when Kudelia uh, asks her for advice on her romantic troubles with Mikazuki. Uh, it's a little bit vague exactly what she's she's getting here and reading, um, but... We find we, out later. Yeah, we find out later. And we get like a little tiny bit... Um, that suggests something uh, that she's getting something from other people or whatever. She kind of hides it away too. when Cadelia comes um, anyway, um, they are both brought to the ship's bridge by Atra. There, Tekadon holds a quick meeting where the girls decide to go shopping on Dort three, which is sort of the, the one where the more well-off uh, members of uh, these colonies live. It's where they have the Costco. Yeah, <laughs> they do just go to a Costco. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they decide to go shopping on Dort 3 with Mikazuki um, and also Biscuit. Uh, Biscuit tags along, um, I think specifically because he, he has a brother who's on yep. Dort 3. Uh, and is hoping to maybe be able to see him. Uh, everybody else goes to deliver supplies to Dort 2. Uh, before heading out on assignment, Orga is warned by Naze and Amida um, not to cause any conflict while in the Earth Sphere territory. After arriving on Dort 3, Kudelia expresses her concern for the Tekadon's hygiene and buys proper cleaning and washing supplies. Um, and while the girls are shopping, Biscuit reveals to Mikazuki that he was born in the colonies with his older brother, Savarin. Um, so yeah, I guess that didn't quite come up when they were deciding, but um, is revealed here as like part of why he wanted to come. Um, when their parents died, Savarin stayed in the colonies to work while Biscuit, Cookie, and Cracker were sent to Mars to live with their grandmother. Uh, meanwhile, Orga and the others meet the door two colony workers, uh, who detail their harsh working conditions and say they are grateful for Kudalia and Tekadon's involvement in the freedom movement. Um, Tekadon successfully delivers their cargo and are surprised to learn that the supplies that they are delivering, um, are one, uh, the, the colony workers are saying, uh, that these were given to them by Kudalia's proxy, which is a surprise to them. Um, and then they also find out that they are weapons uh, delivered to try to, to start like a, a protest or rebellion. Um, in this moment, as if somebody has tipped them off, Gatlahern shows up uh, and a firefight like immediately ensues. Basically um, the colony workers are uh, fighting them off. Um, and Orga orders the Isaribi to retreat from Dort 2 without him, uh, just sort of get clear from this and, uh, hopefully not cause more trouble for, um, Tewaz and all of that. Uh, meanwhile, Fumitan is reflecting on her choice not to go along with the plan laid out by Noblesse that would lead to Kadalia's assassination. Um, in the next time on, 
um, we get this shot. I don't know if you watched the next time on. Connor, I didn't. No one knew clues. I missed uh, this one. Yeah. So we in the next time on, we see the character who's going to show up, um, who we will later learn um, says, "Call me Montag." Um, he, when he says that, says that it's his real name. Uh, and so throughout this, I've intentionally said the masked man. Um, and then once he says the name Montag, that's what I'm going to stick with, uh, until otherwise. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he is putting it on, uh, talking about how it's time for him to take on a new identity. And, uh, it's very obviously McGillis's voice actor delivering these lines. And there's a part where he considers changing his voice and he sort of like mimics a slightly different voice. Uh, and then he's like, eh, nah, I'm, de- I'm deciding against it. <laughs> <laughs> um I think that like if this people won't, are watching this these... won't end up in me being found out instantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um this next time on is a thing where I've seen people complain about how long it takes like that that uh Montag's just like on the ship. Like the masked man is just like on the ship. Uh nobody seems to be like, "Oh, this is McGillis." Um and one I think there's some stuff here where there's like distance. People like very briefly met Matt McGillis. Yeah. Um, person who is closest to it is Mika, who's the one who's going to recognize. Um, we're also going to get stuff with Kudelia being uh, not immediately recognizable. Like, faces are not well-known across space, apparently. Um, not frequently transmitted. People haven't seen a lot of people's faces in that way. Um, but, yeah, I've seen people complain about, like, episode 15. Oh, this is obviously McGillis. Why are they, why are they not saying... And I'm like... The next time on, they they like lampoon this before the character even shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, next episode. I feel like he gets. I feel like he's recognized pretty quickly by Mika. Yeah. In a way that like makes sense. I've seen people be surprised that like, um, Orga and stuff doesn't recognize right away, uh, and I'm like. Or, or Biscuit is the big one, because Biscuit was there when McGillis showed up at the, the farm. And I'm like, Biscuit wasn't, like, right up on him, and it's easy to forget one person you met once. <laughs> right. With everything um, else that's going on. With everything else that's going on with him. Yeah. Yeah. And Mika's um, the one who, like, like, like you point out, has spoken more ex- extensively with him. Um, and, like, I think recognizes the, the voice. Um, although... It, I don't think it's stated exactly what it is, but um, what what he recognizes, but I don't know. I think yeah. it makes sense. Um, episode 15, uh, Trial of Footprints. While Fumiton watches over Kudelia shopping with Mika on door three, uh, Noblis Gordon becomes annoyed with Fumiton for not following orders. Um, so it's been reported back to him that um, Fumiton and uh, Kudelia are on door three. Where they're supposed to be on door two, where Cudelia is planned to be assassinated. Um, and he's like, what the hell are you doing, Fumitan? Um, meanwhile, Orga and company meet Navona Mingo, leader of the Dort Union workers. Uh, he takes them to his home in the slums of Dort Two, where all the colony workers live in poor conditions. Um, Atra and Biscuit also meet up uh, at kind of again, meanwhile. Um, Atra and Biscuit meet up with Biscuit's brother, Sovereign. Uh, previous to this, it's revealed that Sovereign is like involved in the plan to capture or assassinate Cudelia. Um, yeah. He, he's, he's somehow involved in this like 
Or has been like notified of stuff. Yeah, because he's looking at the same type of like memo that Fumitama is looking at. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so Sovereign meets with Atra and Biscuit um, and promptly turns them over to Gellerhorn, uh, having mistakenly concluded that Atra is Kudalia. Uh, Atra, kind of like quickly understanding the situation, um, allows them to believe that she's Kudalia in order to protect the real Kudalia. Um, Biscuit tries to reason with Severin, um, but Severin is like, you know, why are you guys bringing weapons into the colony? Um, and so in this moment, Biscuit and Atra now, they become aware that Tekadon has been set up. Um, we also learn a little more about Sovereign's motivations. Um, he's trying to stop the rebellion altogether um, to save the lives of the Dort Union workers uh, because he knows that, uh, or at least he, he believes that an uprising will be crushed violently. Yeah. Um, Orga uh, learns that Atra um, and Biska have been captured. And so he calls, uh, well, he tells Mika um, to go and find them, and uh, while Kudeli and Fumitan hide out and wait to be picked up. Uh, Gallerhorn is uh, interrogating Atra, uh, basically torturing her um, or beating her, um, but she's refusing. She refuses to talk. Um, meanwhile, Biscuit continues to argue with his brother, um, and eventually reveals to Severin that um, Atra is not Kudelia. Um, and Saverin is shocked by this because, um, his whole ploy is to, uh, give Kudelia to Gellerhorn in the hopes that they'll, um, once they have Kudelia, they'll, um, step back and they won't slaughter all of the, uh, the rebelling workers. Um, so he, Saverin concludes, well, I'll just, you know, say that it's her. Um, Kudelia uh, tries to turn herself over. We're kind of like moving along fast here. Yeah. Um, Kudelia then tries to turn herself over to free Atra, um, but Fumitan stops her. Um, and in this moment, they're confronted by the masked man um, who, yeah, we're just going to call the masked man for now. Yeah. Um, the masked man uh, reveals that Noblis Gordon had Tekadon deliver the weapons to the union workers um, and also reveals that, um, Fumitan is working for Novelis, um, spying on Kudelia. Um, so kind of the two betrayals here, um, revealed to, to Kudelia. Um, Kudelia is initially, you know, defiant and refuses to believe that Fumitan would betray her. Um, but Fumitan confirms it, um, and then leaves, uh, with the mass, uh, with the masked man. Uh, Kudelia then like chases after Fumitan, um, in spite of the masked man telling her that she should flee to save her life. Um, so now Kudelia is just like wandering through, um, the, the colony in an escalating, um, like uprising situation. Um, meanwhile, uh, Mikazuki frees Atra and Biscuit. Um, they're chased by, uh, Saverin, um, who's kind of desperately trying to prevent the inevitable. Um, but 
at, at this point, Orga and the others arrive, um, and Biscuit bids a final farewell to his brother. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, the workers of the Dort Union move into the streets of Dort Three to begin their protest. Uh, episode sixteen. This is called Fumitan Admos, which is named after the character. Um, on Dort 3, while Fumitan tries to distance herself from Kudelia, she reminisces. She's like, reminisces is a weird choice. I, I pulled this from the, the wiki. Uh, but it's kind of remembering this. I guess there is some reminiscing about time they spent together. Um, yeah. But also some, yeah. There, Throughout these like episodes. A, yeah. 14 um, and 15 as well. Yeah, in this scene, uh, specifically towards, like, at the beginning here, she recalls an illustration in a book um, that uh, has the, at least in the version I was watching, it was in, uh, you know, English, History of Revolution on the the front of it. Um, And there's this illustration uh, that Cudelia showed her where there's this revolutionary woman. She's wearing, like, a, I think, like, a white dress. um, And she has these, like, clear, shining eyes. Yeah, she has a sword, and she's, like, holding a, a younger girl. Um, uh, and, yeah, she has these, like, clear, shining eyes, like, looking towards the battlefield. Um, and uh, so Fumitan remembers this illustration and then also remembers this time that she intentionally abandoned Kudelia in Mars, uh, in the Mars slums as a child. Um, basically, Kudelia wanted to go there to, like, see the truth. Um, and... Uh, sort of got waylaid wanting to to give like candy to a, a you know starving urchin um just the most like rich girl seeing poverty for the first time response yeah um and uh Fumitan sort of intentionally abandoned her um and then after a while came out of hiding to you know meet up with her again um anyway uh Going to the present, uh, the Dort union workers begin their protest. Uh, they're marching through the streets with active mobile workers. Um, and uh, Gatlerhorn is sort of prepa- preparing a retaliation. Uh, Fumitan tries to leave the colony via sp- uh, the spaceport. But um, while she's like going up the space elevator, basically, uh, it's shut down by Gatlerhorn due to the protests. Uh, this is also preventing the turbines and the other members of Tekadon from un- entering Dort 3 to, to try and help out. Um, so they begin preparing their mobile suits for battle. Um, then, uh, as part of this, we see a ride painting the Grey's custom for Shino. Um, so we'll, we'll get this. It gets a new name. I, I, I think I forgot to put it in the, the notes, but, uh, the Grey's custom is going to get a, a cool new name. Uh, it's like the you say go, I think. Um, as part of this. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, I've seen that, that kit before. I, I haven't bought it, but I've seen it a number of times. <laughs> um, and, uh, also, um, Akihiro begins tuning his Alea Vignana system, uh, to the new Gundam Fusion, which they've took, they took off the like froggy, uh, bulky outer armor. Uh, and then underneath is just like a Gundam mask Gundam. Um, it's like a, uh, sort of tan colored, but it's like, you know, Gundam shaped. It's not a yeah. frog. It's like, um, and amusingly, it's kind of like, especially live. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a thinner Gundam even than like Barbados. Yeah. Uh, it does have these like really big, uh, shoulder things that sort of go off that are, I'm, I'm assuming are like sort of thruster wings. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah. Um, it looks like they retained some of the armor for like a skirt at the back. I'm looking at the, the gunplay now. Um, it's cool. I don't like it as much as Barbados, but, um, just in terms of like thematic stuff for the show. Uh, but it is a cool new, a cool new robot. Um, Anyway, members of Tekadon who are trapped in the colonies search frantically for Kudelia, while Fumitana is confronted by other agents working for Noblesse Gordon. Uh, she's given strict orders to make sure that Kudelia is caught up in the Union demonstration uh, as part of this like assassination plan. Um, Fumitana returns to the city just as the Union workers reach the Dort Company headquarters. Um, Kudelia sees Fumitan and she tries to approach her, but in, in doing so, she like basically has to cross the parade <laughs> of the protest, uh, and then sort of gets caught up. She's like sworn by union workers. Um, cause somebody recognizes her. Um, they play a lot with like how much are people recognizable? How much is, mm-hmm. um, Kudelia recognizable, but somebody recognizes her. Uh, and then other people are like, what? That's, that's her. Um, and sort of storm around. Um, and they sort of just believe that she's there to support them. Um, so, uh, Fumitan returns to the city or, or no, I already, I, I got mixed up in this. Um, so yeah, they swarm her and ask her to speak on behalf of the union. Uh, Kudelia is trying to explain that she can't do that. Um, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm trying to get to earth basically. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to get to Fumitan right over there. Um, but su- a sudden explosion erupts in the Dort company building. Uh, this is not clearly not from the union workers. Uh, it was planted by Gatlahern themselves. Um, and we get some stuff about how they're going to use this to, to blame. Uh, they're going to blame the explosion on the union workers in sub- uh, subsequent news coverage. Um, there's like a whole part with the, the, like higher the ups the news spin. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about spinning it being like, that's not believable. Like the workers know they didn't. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like we can edit it. So it looks fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, it, and it also is providing the necessary, uh, pretext for Gatlahern to, to retaliate quote unquote. Um, so, uh, this retaliation takes the form of basically them just completely unloading on the union workers. Um, and it's an absolute massacre. Uh, Kudele is the only one alive. Um, and I've seen some people complain about this one. It's a story. I'm, I'm kind of fine with this. I think it also implies there's that one union worker who she's like holding right afterwards, who I think like tried to, to block the bullets for her and save her. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, she's holding the, I think it's the union worker who initially recognized her, um, and helped protect her. Um, and, uh, this union worker comments that she's happy to die in the arms of the maiden of revolution as if in a fairy tale. Um, as Kudelia holds the dying worker, Noblesse's agents, uh, are attempting a, a sniper assassination, uh, at this point, since the, the massacre itself didn't work. Um, but then Fumitan runs out, uh, you know, sort of aware of the, the ploy, um, and takes the bullet. Uh, and then we get this scene of Fumitan, um, shot and bleeding out, but like, uh, sort of crouched over Kudelia protecting her, but bleeding on her in, a, in the process. Um, and before she dies, she gives Kudelia the necklace back saying she d- doesn't deserve it um, because she intentionally left Kudelia behind in the slums. And also that she always hated her eyes, which uh, we sort of return to the, 
both of those memories from the the start, which she sort of says, I thought after you saw the truth, uh, your eyes would sort of cloud over, uh, but they're still clear and shining like that, that woman in the illustration. Um, and so I hated your eyes for that. Um, for not getting clouded over and, and sort of dispirited when you saw the truth of things. Um, around this time, Mikazuki finds Kudelia. Um, I think they like see it on a, a TV or something, like in a shop window. <laughs> in the end, they're like uh, rushing yeah. to her or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, uh, I think, the first of, of multiple, because we're going to get with Atra too, I think, later, of Mikazuki just uh, picking up Kudelia and like running, carrying her. <laughs> Uh, she's sobbing and crying for Fumitan. Um, after hearing about the attempt on Cordelia's life, McMurdo Barristan contacts Noblesse and suggests that they join forces. Um, we also learn that other riots, uh, we learn this like through news coverage, so it's unclear exactly what's happening. Um, I would not trust anything that you sort of get as like blanket news coverage. Um, in, in these episodes, but uh, that other riots broke out in the remaining Dort colonies, um, and Tegadon's preparing to escape um, from Dort 2, I think. I think that's the one that, like, most of them are trying to get off of. Also from Dort 3. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah. Um. So, I think I think the big arc... I mean, one of the things that stands out to me about these three episodes is like the introduction of the uh, the union and the way yeah. that like expands um, or like advances um, the like revolutionary politics of um, of the show, or like I guess the revolutionary politics happening within the show. Yeah. Um. Well, and, and one thing that I think is, uh, and we, we can see how things develop, but, um, you know, of all of the characters, and we'll get more of this in the, the next three episodes too, um, but of all the characters, uh, Kudelia is maybe the, the quickest to jump on to, like, doing more revolutionary stuff around this, um, Whereas some of the other characters, I guess we'll get this more than the next three episodes, but uh, like Tekadon are kind of just doing a job. Right. Um, they are surprised to have delivered weapons. Um, they are not really acting as revolutionaries. They're, they're uh, approaching this as their job is to deliver Kudelia to earth. Um, and there's, there's like, like a revolutionary thing happening there, but also yeah. that is, that's not like, it, it doesn't seem like that's Orga's, Orga's not like, we need to get her to Earth to support the revolution. Orga's like, well, this is our first job. <laughs> yeah. As a company. Yeah. Like, we've just joined Teiwaz. This is our first job. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think you put it well. Um, like, Tekadon itself is... Um, it has, like, so this kind of... Revo- this dent of revolutionary potential... Um, for all of the reasons that we've talked about before, um, basically like it's constituted by, um, you know, the like space rats, um, breaking these like, uh, boundaries of servitude, um, and then like seizing control of these assets of CGS, um, and, uh, you know, and then like 
using it for their own means, um, which does not appear to be like making a profit, <laughs> um, but rather like, you know, advancing their own um, or trying to like solidify their own freedom further. Um, so then they don't have to like battle uh, trying to like secure their freedom in other words. Um, yeah. But I think the like, they're not necessarily conscious of that, like as a revolutionary action. Um, and that like the tension there is like staged dramatically um, in episode like 1415 um, when they're actually like, Oh, so this is a union. They're like meeting a union who's like engaged in um, like revolutionary action or uh, yeah. like proto revolutionary action. And they're just like, okay, this is completely foreign. <laughs> like this yeah. is not, we have no kinship with you. Um, <laughs> this is like, the the immediate reaction is like, oh, okay, yeah, we just want to like do this job and leave. They don't like yeah. recognize that. Um Yeah, and also like uh they seem so out of their element when like there's the the beginning of talk of like there there are different like factions within this union. There are, you know, the the main um like union leader, I guess. Um I'm trying to remember his name. It's been Navona. a while since. Yeah, Navona. Um, you know, he seems a, a little bit more like, I want to get to a negotiating table. Um, yeah. That is that is my goal. Uh, but it's having to, like, deal with the fact that there are revolutionaries who are like, no, we should just take the guns and start shooting. Um, and there's, like, you know, uh, in a way that... It, uh, happens a lot in leftist spaces there's like infighting about how radical to be <laughs> right yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and t- yeah uh Tekadon's just like uh well we delivered your goods uh it's not what we thought it was uh can can we oh no oh yeah no, we, here oh we, fuck. sorry we can't and also we can't help you because our yeah. company would get mad at us if we did yeah <laughs> um so i think um one of the thing, one of the things that really I did enjoy about these episodes, yeah, um, is the way that it brings in like the complexities um, and the different nuances of, um, like obviously the show is is very deeply engaged with um, Marxist ideas. Um, but it's also not like um it's not like totalizing about them or it's not like overly convenient in its uh in its presentation of them um it shows yeah. like the conflicts and the new and the like nuances of of all of this um and the the ways that it's not um I guess the difficulties um, is a better better way of putting it. Um, Uh, And also that like our, our supposed heroes aren't the ones who are um, really on like the vanguard of revolution here. Right. Uh, At least currently they, they are, especially most of our characters are uh, 
doing a job. Um, and Kudalia is in this place where, like, I think the stuff that's happening with uh, Kudalia and Fumitan is, like, emphasizing the way that she is a, a rich girl who wants to play at a revolutionary. Um, but then also, in doing so, is actually becoming more radical. Um, and this is, like, a, a thing that uh, Fumitan is recognizing. Um, that, like, even as you are uh, seeing the actual truth, you aren't, like, uh, you are continuing to, like, want to push for uh, change and revolution for these people. Um, and it's not just, like, a, a passing fantasy that you had reading a book. Um, yeah. But and also, she's not there yet fully either, because she's just like, I just want to get through this protest to get back to Fumitan. Um, right, like actually needs a, a death like Fumitan's death to like further radicalize her. Right, or like her her idea of revolution is it's narrower, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like oh well, it's a this is about Mars. Yeah, um, like this I'm about going Mars, for and this is about me uh, going to like a, a political assembly to like advocate for something. Yeah, like my nation in essence, yeah. or like the people of my nation. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think that um you bring up a good point about this. This is stuff that I wasn't even really realizing <laughs> until you started talking about it. Um but having uh Tekadon and Kudelia um so these three episodes kind of stage this split by actually having them spatially apart. Um, yeah. And then having them experience store in different ways. Um, but then you have like uh, two different arcs that are happening where like, you know, Tekadon is the like, again, they have this like revolutionary potential um, inherent in themselves, like because of their, their class status uh, and then the actions yeah. that they've taken. And like, that, and that, uh, they did have a, an uprising, even though it was more of just like a shit mutiny. Exactly. But they um, had like but, a coup d'etat. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Mikazuki did shoot those people who who were treating them poorly. <laughs> yeah. So they've actually like done this. Yeah. Um, but they're not like engaged with revolution as a concept. Uh, and therefore, like, they're. Like their their radicalism is not really like conscious, um, and I think yeah. we see one way of interpreting this at least is that we see them kind of coming up against a limitation of that when they come to Dort and they don't immediately um, they're like denying this um, this kinship at least initially um, with the union. Uh, and these other like this these other oppressed people. Um because again, they're not like uh engaged consciously with these like concepts. Yeah. Um and the arc of these three episodes. So I think it's important that they like go to Navona's home. Um that's a very like important scene to me. Where yeah. they go to Navona's home and they see where the like um where the working class of Dort 2 lives. And they're like, oh, it's just as bad as uh, Krisa 
Yeah. That they're starting to like, um, again, even in this moment, I don't think that the connection is fully formed. Um, but they have this experience where they're like seeing the truth, um, so to speak. Uh, and then they're like coming into awareness, uh, or starting to come into awareness of this like larger reality. Um, the larger reality being that like, okay, well um, this web of like colonialism and this like oppressive regime is not just like, it encompasses Mars and, and like Dort, like all of these people are um, like fighting against or struggling within the same like system or against the same regime. Yeah. Um, so they're starting to come to awareness of this. Whereas like Kudelia, her advantage is that she has the book like history of revolution. So she has like um, the conceptual like basis. This is, I think what you were pointing out earlier. Yeah. Um, she has that like conceptual grounding uh, to be able to like rec- recognize some of this stuff. Um but also she's approaching it from like For, she from doesn't a have conceptual remove uh, exactly to, to tie into something that's going to happen when we talk about the next three episodes she hasn't gotten her hands dirty in the yes. way that Tekadon has she yes. has the concepts but she she hasn't done the work uh Tekadon has done some of the work but doesn't have the conceptual framing to think about how that that work is situated in like a, an actual revolutionary moment um, and how they can like not just do that for their own self-preservation, which is how they've done it so far. Um, But they could actually turn it towards helping others. Um, And so they, they have these like two component parts and these episodes are them starting to bring those uh, together a little bit more, I think. Absolutely. And the other component of this um, that we get here is um, we have some of these other characters who are positioned um, like in this, in this same matrix, but are like occupying different positions. Um, So we have the like reformist perspective as well. Um, And I think this ties into like, to, to sum up kind of what, what you were, the point you were making um, this like confrontation with, quote unquote reality um, of like, oh, okay, well when the rubber hits the road um, and you understand like the enormity of um, like just how far out of whack uh, reality is with your ideals and like just how enormous the forces are that are going to like stand in the way of yeah. realizing your ideals or changing anything. Um the re- like the challenge of that and then the responses to that um so we get like Saverin for instance um who's this kind of like again my interpretation um but this kind of like negative counterexample of mm-hmm. um you know at first you think Saverin is just like this corporate shill um and he's like just trying to get ahead and like doesn't give a shit about Biscuit or whatever. Um, but he's not just a corporate shill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He so he is a corporate shill, but his motivations, I think by the end of these um 
the last time we see him, we've like we find out that no, like he hasn't abandoned his like class consciousness. He like his main priority, or at least one of his top priorities, is like protecting these people who he sees as his like, um, maybe not family, but as like his people. Um, yeah. He's trying to protect the union because he he thinks that they're going to be um, slaughtered or crushed if they rise up. Yeah. Um. And so his like his response to that is like, I have to prevent the uprising and then try to like, you know, reform within the system by making whatever incremental gains are these negotiations are going to achieve. Yeah. And I think part of, from from my perspective, part of the failing of uh, Sovereign is that he he uh, understands the the violence of like a, a massacre or like a violent retaliation to an uprising. Um, he, in the way that all people do, recognizes that as violence against his people. Uh, I think he's not in quite the same way recognizing like the. Uh, the like conditions that people exist in is its own form of violence mm-hmm. um, that needs to be struggled against, even if there are losses. Because um, I think you and I would agree that, like, to, to some degree, that there does need to be some uh, actual uprising here. <laughs> yeah, um, it certainly appears uh, that Gallahorn is not uh, going to make these li- these people's lives any like substantially better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no inclination to do that. Yeah. Um, and with Severin, I think we get this, like, um, to use Fumitan's uh, formulation, like, your eyes cloud over. Um, so, you know, Severin has, it may have this, like, reformist impulse, or he may have this impulse for justice. Uh, and this concern with like the plight of the oppressed work uh, working class, but uh, he's also part of the system. Like this is his job now. Um, yeah. And the um, we see the pitfalls of that. Um, yeah. The way that like becoming part of the system, even if you're doing it uh, with conviction um, to change the system. Like becoming part of it, it shapes you ideologically, um, and so he has this perspective, which is um, really, you know, if he gets what he wants, yeah, uh, it's going to be like greatly to to Gallarhorn's benef- benefit, um, and is going to destroy uh, like any potentiality of revolution because they'll have Cudalia. Yeah. Um, well, and this is another uh, thing that I think is interesting about and, and is like a failing uh, that's happening in him is uh, he recognizes the way that the the sacrifice of Kudelia or even the sacrifice of Atra, who, uh, from his pers- perspective, uh, would be entirely innocent, even if he thinks that like Kudelia is not um, that Atra would be. Uh, but he he can understand how that loss of life might like better conditions for people. Um, but he cannot make that jump to uh, applying it to like the, the colony that he cares about that, like the, the loss of life might be a necessary thing to like create more important, um, 
substantial changes for people. Um, and so he's, he's kind of, he's willing to sacrifice somebody who he does. He isn't able to make that, that connection that I think, uh, might be starting to happen with like, uh, Tekadon of these people are, are, uh, existing in like similar conditions under the same oppressive forces. Um, and so I'm like, okay with these people being sacrificed. Um, I'm not like seeing that kinship in the same way, um, where he doesn't care about Atra in the way that he might about even like one union worker. Um, right. And so I think that's also part of what's happening with with him here is that like uh failure to recognize the larger picture as well um this like uh over focus on uh just like the union and uh the colonies and trying to prevent like loss of life um within that system yeah um and i think there's a way that this ties to um you know kudelia also being forced to uh accept that actions like initiated by her by her um or like you know facilitated or whatever um are going to result in a lot in loss of life um and the response that mikazuki or the admonishment that mikazuki gives to her in like the first few episodes um of like oh don't you dare presume that this is um that this is your fault. Um, so there's this kind of idea or you, you could uh, maybe make the argument. I don't know if I feel like 100% that this is what's being uh, conveyed. Um, but there's this kind of feeling that everyone here is, is battling for their life. Um, even if they're like working in, um, you know, even if they're like holding down this horrible job, um, by virtue of like living in these conditions, like this end of itself is a battle, um, where your life is on the line. And if that escalates to like actual bloodshed, it's not a categorical difference. Um, it's like a, a difference of gradation. It's not a categorical yeah. difference. Like this is not something else all of a sudden. So if like between uh, to go back to Mika and Kudelia, um, like, Oh, well the fact that Kudelia is here, like they attacked us. Um, Gellerhorn attacks CJS cause Kudelia is here. Um, and then people died. Well, that's not Kudelia's like Kudelia can't just take all of that. Um, she can't presume to be responsible for that uh, because yeah. in fact, like, you know, this is something that, um, like, CGS was already under this violence. Um, yeah. And, like, uh, their lives were already being, like, um, like, not only having violence inflicted upon them, but, like, death um, as well uh, due to this regime. Um, yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah there's, like... It- there's sometimes a uh, a thing with uh, Mika and the way they all talk about this stuff that I think is fascinating. Where um, sometimes it almost takes on this tone of like uh, respect the troops, like 
the you know don't disrespect their death by like saying these things um but yeah i I do think that there's like a a thing that is happening where that is pushing into like um don't like also presume to make decisions for those who are willing to give up their life for the revolution Mm -hmm. um that like that is also part of what's happening here that like to to make a a certain decision um that like foregoes any sort of um violent conflict is also like going against those that would actually want to struggle and would uh feel like you know obviously don't want to die but would be willing to do that if it is furthering something um that like that uh there, there's a conflict happening between those different perspectives of those who are willing to give their lives for a revolution um, and those who want to try to prevent this sort of violent stuff from happening. And there's not like a, a fully uh, everyone is happy right. <laughs> arrangement that you can there's make a, There's just a tension. Like, yeah, yes. there's a tension here between two like realities. Yeah. Uh, um, and also one of the things here being... Um, and I, I'm going to use this to like slightly move over to, to Atra as well. Uh, but like Fumitan intentionally choosing to give her life to allow Kudelia to like continue on and to do this revolutionary stuff is um, at once like a political action that she's taking, but is also framed as like deeply personal that yeah. um, there is a personal relationship that is developing between Fumitan um, and Kudelia where she like Fumitan is more choosing to save the, the girl who it is her responsibility to take care of and who she has like developed this affection for that we kind of see slowly developing throughout these episodes, often in like little background scenes. Um, and so that's part of what is happening, but it is also then taking on this like political tinge. Um, and I think a like similar thing is also happening with Atra. Um, we will get later on Atra talking about how she is going to do a revolution. Um, and one, you could say perhaps she's doing some sort of sexual revolution <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> in terms of her approach to, to relationships and, uh, you know, the, the love triangles that exist in shows and things. Um, I think there's like a certain joke happening there. Um, but also there's this way that like, she does something deeply heroic in being like, I am going to let them believe that I'm Kudalia and let them like, uh, you know, brutally beat me and interrogate she, me. She, pre- she's prepared to sacrifice herself. Yes. essentially. Yeah. Um, and it, it is a place coming from like Kudalia's family. And I do this for family. It is also coming from this, uh, I think, primarily personal space in the same way that it does with Fumitan. Um, but then also is increasingly taking on and because Atra does not die here, uh, there's like more potential for it to continue to grow is taking on like an increasing political, uh, or like, uh, you know, revolutionary and like a broader sense and not in a, I want to protect this person who I consider part of my family. Um, but I think that's a like a lot of uh, Asha stuff. I think she's often quietly a very revolutionary character on the show, but yeah. is approaching things I in agree. a very interpersonal way, uh, where it is about like the immediate people close to her. Um, and so she hasn't quite crossed over into that like uh, broader trying to help out like you know all of the colonies sense, um, even if she might feel that like compassion. But she is doing like. Uh, very like bold and uh heroic things i think often 
but it's like situated in this very uh close interpersonal space yeah um definitely and um the other thing that so you brought up the um the family connection and i think that's also complicated here yeah um, we talked a lot about like the family as a um form of association um to to be as general as possible um like within ibo um and yeah. it's obviously like a very important theme um and structure and uh i think in these three episodes we get we get more on that in the sense that um there are these like warnings or or complications. Um, So it, it reminded me of um, the way that we get, we get the, um, the brewers space rats as this kind of like mirror image. um, And also like possibility for um, the word failure seems harsh, but I'm just going to use it because I think you know what I mean. Um, like the alternate possibility uh where Tekadon is not able to like overthrow CGS or whatever. Um and instead they like they aren't able to do all these revolutionary things, um, like you know, take take hold of their agency, um, and so on and so forth. Um instead they just like, you know, um continue to exist in these like miserable conditions and they're uh exploited and killed. Um here in this like three um episode arc we get images of like failure the failure of family like in of itself or the failure of like protecting family um so obviously saverin is uh a key example where he like betrays biscuit um in in this way that's like in uh I think set in pretty close um like contradistinction to uh these sentiments about like oh family is someone you don't betray um cuz in episode 15 I think Ina uh Kudelia has this line about family is someone you don't betray um and then in that very episode we get like <laughs> Saverin betraying Biscuit um so uh it's like complicating this idea of family. Um, and then we also get Navona, um, the unions like uprising being put down. Um, Navona's attempts to like, uh, not only advance their, um, their cause, but also to like prevent bloodshed, um, also fail. Um, and he's killed. Um, and we see earlier on, I think in episode 15, like we see his family, um, uh, his wedding ring is shown like several times. Um, so it's kind of reinforcing, um, the subtext that he's doing this, uh, not only for like the union, um, but also to, to protect his family. Um, and he, he isn't able to, um, so we get some more tension, like introduced, um, or uh into these concepts um yeah they continue to be like uh to become more complicated um definitely 
One thing while you were talking that I thought of too, that I remember when I was watching these episodes, um, especially because it's, uh, I think it's like something that Tomino didn't get to do until like turn A. We go like a number of episodes without a mobile suit battle here. <laughs> yeah, we do. Maybe that's um, why I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I, I actually think I like these, this portion of the, these episodes a little better than <laughs> um, the next three. But yeah, uh, yeah, it it did it did have a different feel when you don't have the the Gundams uh, fighting. Yeah, I I do like when there are moments in a, a Gundam show like this where uh, you can go a, a while without robots fighting. Um, and it, it is funny how they like they show you the the Gundam Gusion just so that they can like, well, we still got a new one that people can buy on screen. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, yeah. uh, we got two. We got we got that and the Ryu Say Go. Uh, yeah, so, we repainted the the grays. Yeah, we'll still give them a little while until people can see them fight. But uh. yeah, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's some other stuff here. Um, the medieval troop keeps coming yeah. up. Um, band so of episode, knights we we yeah. didn't bring this up but the tekadon gets referred to as a band of knights and obviously the uh people couldn't tell from us describing the illustration the like illustration of the maiden of revolution um in that book is like a sort of medieval depiction um which yeah. then is you can also maybe tie to like the demonology is kind of pointing towards something medieval. Even the the like old Norse references in Gjallarhorn have a certain yeah. medieval tinge to them. Um, and then we have the you know the weapons. So Barbados, that like mace, um, yeah, has a medieval feel. But the combat, there's a lot more melee. Um, yeah, have combat. have they explained the the lack of beam weapons? Not yet. Okay. There's like there's an explanation about beam, beam weapons like basically don't exist in this world. Um Okay. They've referenced um you know the nano whatever armor. Yeah, the armor. I don't know if yeah, if that's somehow related. Um, um but Yeah. Nonetheless, like, you know, we get a, a lot more melee combat. I I think um, it is a uh the the choice to not have a lot of bean weapons is not uh we have this in universe explanation that's the the whole reason why we're not going to do it i think the the uh in universe explanation is like to allow them to do this thing that they want to do which is to have this more medieval combat um okay. to have like swords and maces and stuff as like the primary thing um okay yeah, I think some of it also allows for. Uh, I think this is a show that intentionally wants to sometimes uh, push a little bit of the the brutality of um, the like mobile suit combat, and so even though there are no still question. guns in this, um, they want to have like weapons being like put up against like piercing through mech bodies. Yeah, almost um, no Gundam pilot is. Into, yeah, yeah, almost no Gundam pilot is killed with a gun. Or with like yeah. a ballistic, it's all almost all of the deaths are like crushing someone inside the cockpit, um, which I think. By yeah. by the way, cr I think cr like the crushing, um, the extensive representation of crushing, <laughs> is also important 
um, and significant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's almost always like the killing blow is a melee weapon. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have a like total read on this yet. Um, but the by this I mean the medieval stuff. Um, yeah. But the fact that Tekanon's referred to as knights here, um, and also in the medieval time, like considered dark, the Dark Ages for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, or referred to as such. Uh, we also have a kind of Dark Ages thing going on here with the Calamity Wars. Where yeah, it's where... like obscured, like the historical, the historical like record seems to be, um, there's like a disconnect. The, um, the Calamity Wars are spoken more mythically than historically by most people. Yep, exactly. Um, so the Calamity Wars themselves are this like dark or like historically obscured time. And then Tekadon with Barbados. Oh, <laughs> is so I'm like, is that I'm, what it is? I'm fully in the. I mean, this could be something that they are uh, inspired by Turne and and doing here. I'm not positive on that, but uh, the dark history uh, and like this uh, sort of obscured mythic history uh, is a big thing. And like, very first episodes is like. Um, there are these like legends of the white doll. And then, you know, the turn a Gundam breaks out of the statue of the mm. white doll. It was never actually a statue. It was just like, uh, covered over with some sort of rock or something. Um, oh, it's like black clue. Yeah. And I like, know you haven't seen that. People but... don't say the word Gundam like in the universe, uh, until like halfway through the first season. <laughs> Wow. Uh, like it, it's a while before anyone calls it a Gundam. Uh, everyone calls it the the white doll or the mustache or mustache doll or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, I, yeah, I can they already them... tell this this show is going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's great. Uh, and yeah, there's. I'm at the point where um, the the dark history is like being mentioned more and more. Right? I think people are going to find out stuff about the dark history. Um, finally, yeah. towards the very end of turn A, I'm like eight episodes from the end. Um, but well, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Maybe it's a turn A thing. Um, I, I wouldn't know, but um, yeah, we have this like dark history here, and um, you know, Tekadon has this like artifact from the dark history. Um, they're basically like, they have a medieval Gundam and yeah. they're like n- a band of knights and yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. they're regalia. They have like this, you know, medieval, something that could pass as like a medieval regalia, um, with their, their logo. Um, so I think something's yeah, they, happening they here. Have, yeah. They have like an emblem. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know like what it is yet, but I just want to call that out. Yeah. Um, and um, then uh, the, um, you know, the, the symbol of the earth. Um, I'll, I'll defer this to like the next section of episodes. Cause it becomes, um, it's still there <laughs> in those, uh, but the earth itself being like one of the most, uh, important and enduring like symbols within Gundam. Yeah. Um, it's back. <laughs> it's back here. Uh, 
you know, Earth is pretty like a jewel. We get that as soon as they see the Earth uh, in episode 14. Um, we're, we're getting all this Gundam stuff uh, around the Earth and like the, we, the characters' reactions to it. Um, but their perspective of it as um, people from Mars. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on with this. But yeah. maybe we'll flesh it out more <laughs> in the next uh, section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on, I just want to like clarify, be- because I want to be very careful about how I formulate this. Yeah. Um, the conversation we were having about revolution earlier. Um I don't want I don't want to say because uh, this is not uh, <laughs> my belief that you know there's um, I don't want to accidentally like convey that like oh well you know living as an oppressed person like is the same as like dying or whatever yeah um, or that like you 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 might as well like fight and die yada 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 um i'm not saying that <laughs> uh, but i think there's like ideas around this like happening in the show yeah. um so i just want to be like very clear about how i uh or careful about how i'm like formulating this um anyway uh episode 17 um Cudelia's decision uh News coverage of the massacre of the massacre on Dort Three. Uh, okay, restarting. Uh, the news cover the massacre on Dort Three, um, like as uh, okay. The way this is written, <laughs> the way this yeah. is written is tripping me out. So news um, coverage of the massacre on Dort Three. Uh, so the like frame massacre it as on a North, yeah, is being yeah. framed as not a massacre, but rather a shootout, uh, riots, or you know, spreading across the colonies, things like that. Uh, that like you know, explosion. It's the stuff that we kind of already got of right. what was going to happen, but we actually like see it happening where they're like, oh, riots broke out and they like set off a bomb, and then Gallahern yeah. is like coming in and and bringing peace to the streets. You know, yeah, we're just um, getting all of the media spin basically yeah. that this is like a violent uprising riot and like Gellahorn is, uh, um, you know, restoring peace by like, you know, massacring all these people. Um, some of the union workers steal mobile suits and head out from their colonies to help the workers on door three. Um, however, uh, they just, as soon as they launch out to space to battle Gellahorn, um, they discover that Gellahorn's Aryan Road fleet is already awaiting them. Uh, and not only that, but the stolen equipment that they're piloting uh, has been sabotaged, um, obviously by Gellahorn, uh, so that the weapons and thrusters don't work. Um, and in a uh, uh, almost exact repetition of the massacre in the um, the plaza, uh, the Gellahorn mobile suits just begin... Um, annihilating the the helpless workers in space. Um, and again, we we continue to get the news like framing this as a um, alternately like um, whitewashing it and um, spinning it as like a you know Gellahorn uh, restoring piece. Um, 
Eugene and Shino uh, plead with Orga for Tekadon to aid the workers um, while watching the news in a closed-off spaceport. Orga refuses at first, um, but he eventually is convinced um, when Kudelia like puts her foot down and says um, that she's going to fight with or without them, uh, and she can't go to Earth to plead for the people of Mars um, if she's unwilling to fight for those oppressed here on the colonies. Um, a Dort Colony Network news team, uh, kind of the one that we've been seeing over the last few episodes. Yeah. Um, they're uh, ordered um, to stop broadcasting because um, the um, Gellerhorn like regulatory bureau, or they're like you know um, information uh, service, their information department is like okay, we have enough, you know, this job done. Um, yeah. So they shut them down. Uh, and as they're packing up, they see Kudelia um, and the um, kind of like the the manager or the guy who appears to be running the, the crew uh, recognizes her. And uh, so they I rush. Think, I think just as like, oh, that was like one of the union workers, like doesn't recognize that that's Kudelia Ina Bernstein right away. Right, right. Um, he recognizes that she yeah. was like there at the in the crowd. Yeah. We don't get um, too much direct characterization around this, but the the vibe I get is like they do this job where they kind of know that they're like doing a thing that's getting spun, uh, and then they do just like record a massacre and know that it's going to get spun as just like a, you know, putting down a like a, a shootout and everything. And I think have like are a little bit uh, having qualms about what their job is. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple comments um, between them. That are like kind of here and there, um, yeah. Where it's like, I can't remember exactly what is said, but it's like dissatisfaction at, at what they're um, at what they're at, do actually doing. Um, and then when they go to Cadelia, they're like, "Hey, you know, actually, we 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 legitimately want to like cover this. <laughs> uh, like, we, we want to report on what's actually happening here." Yeah. Um and we want to like understand your side of the situation. Um and then it actually do end up like sticking their neck out pretty far to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh yeah, and as the synopsis here says, um they decide to interview Cadelia. Uh, as they feel the the news they're being asked to report is too one sided and not providing any space for the workers to voice their side of the conflict. Um, the very sanitized way of looking at this situation, but yeah. um, fair enough. <laughs> there, uh, are, I, I, there are moments where this, there's a part where like um, they're talking about stuff in a previous episode in the synopses that I pulled from the wiki, where it was like, uh, you know, Gallahern prepare in case that the situation turns violent or whatever. I'm like, they're orchestrating all of this. They're not preparing in case it turns violent. They're getting ready to execute their massacre. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> they're preparing for the next step yeah. of the plan that they have, have entirely um, orchestrated. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the synopses that I've had to pull, like, don't really seem to recognize sometimes what's actually happening in a way that's dispiriting. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Um, well, there you go. That's, uh, that's the workings of ideology for you. So yeah. <laughs> we can look at the, um, the wikis that were, uh, critically evaluate the, the wikis we're going to, uh, their perspective. 
Um, uh, anyway, um, once again, Orga hesitates. He doesn't want to be uh, interviewed by these people. Um, but Kudelia is like all uh, just jump jumps right on it. Um, and then Biscuit actually has to stop Orga from stopping her. Um, because Biscuit is recognizing uh, that Kudelia is um, trying to le- leverage this. Um, well, and, and, and then also, also, yeah. Yeah. And also, not uh, in addition to that, um, they can use the broadcast line from the uh, reporter's van um, to contact the Isaribi, um and then try to get figure out their, their way out of this. Yeah, there's something also about how like Biscuit knows that the the news crews would have like special clearance to use this spaceport even though it's shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, Naze. Uh, meanwhile, Naze and the turbines are unwilling uh, to help out out of fear of causing trouble for Tewaz, uh, but agree to not try to stop Tekadon. Uh, the crew of the Isaribi takes immediate action, preparing their mobile suits including launching Barbados for Mika. Uh, Orga, Kudelia, and the company travel with the Dort Colony Network, so the news team, um, into space, where Mika uh, rendezvous with the Barbados and the others uh, uh, and the others board the Isaribi. Uh As this is happening, um, Galileo and Ayn, we're seeing stuff with Galileo and Ayn. Um, Galileo yeah. wants to get out there both of them want to go fight and kill Mikazuki um, for their, their various reasons. Um, and uh, they kind of like finally finagle, they're allowed to launch. Uh, so um, they launch out, they confront Mika um, when he begins to like fight back against the massacre. Um, Gailio is piloting the Gundam Kimaris which is uh, stated to be a family heirloom of the uh, Bodoins, while Ayn pilots Skylio's old Schwabe greys. Uh, Gailio manages to overwhelm Mika in the fight, um, but Shino and Akihiro arrive to back him up, uh, and the two teams kind of trade blows until Gailio is ordered to retreat uh, by Gallahorn. Uh Before the next battle begins... Uh, I think it's important to note here, it's kind of like the Gallarhorn just has overwhelming force. Um, so I think yeah. there's this mounting recognition here at the end of the episode that like um, they really don't stand much of a chance uh, unless something happens. Uh, Cudelia appears to know this as well uh, because she contacts uh, Noblis Gordon and uses him to pull some strings um, so that she can broadcast a message to the world. Um, at this point, we get into the the wiki that I was using. No longer has synopses. Um, none of the, the Gundam wikis do. Uh, and so I found uh, some sort of... It's like a website that was writing, I think when it was airing on Adult Swim, maybe? Whatever aired it at the time, like when it was first showing in the US. Um, they were watching the dub summarizing uh the episodes and doing reviews and uh the the summaries were often kind of bad uh the reviews really just like think that women are stupid and don't care about the female characters and only really seem to care about cool mech fights um 
really just like it's your typical uh, adult swim at, dem- demographic. Yeah, just like balked at any suggestion of uh, femininity, including the idea that uh, chaff shot into space would sparkle, which is that's what chaff is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you know, get this glitter out of my my Gundam show. But um, hey, it was okay <laughs> in Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> but yeah, all when it was, it was in manly Gundam, then it wasn't purple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, I ended up like heavily rewriting some of this stuff. Um, I more just used it as a guide to make sure I wasn't like missing scenes. Um, or for some scenes where I was like, uh, they wrote it. Okay. I, I, I pulled a little bit more directly from what they did, but, um, there's a fair amount of my own writing in here. Um, so we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, episode 18 voice Cadelia broadcasts the truth of the massacre over the live news feed and challenges Gatlahern to destroy the Isaribi and her with it. Um, as they move into attack, they get orders to back off and retreat from above. Uh, they being Gatlahern, um, some of the Gatlahern like soldiers nearby anyway. Uh, despite others saying she won, Cadelia has her doubts, uh, after exiting the conflict zone. So they are like sort of allowed to pass through, uh, after this, um, so after exiting the conflict zone, uh, Tekadon and Tewaz regroup and attempt to develop a new strategy, uh, strategy as their original plan to earth is no longer an option. Um, basically Kudalia's broadcast brought way too much attention to them. Um, and so they're, they're going to be, you know, presumably tracked more heavily than they were planning. Um, and also, uh, just taking normal Tewaz space stuff might also cause more issues for, for, um, Tewaz. Uh, so anyway, um, while they're doing this, they get interrupted by, uh, so like throughout this, we haven't really talked about this, but, um, like there's essentially like sonar for Ahab reactors so that people can kind of tell when there's Ahab reactors nearby, which would Mm -hmm. uh, indicate like ships or, um, you know, powerful mobile suits, uh, not like mobile workers, but ones that have this, this ability. Um, so they, they get interrupted. There's, uh, some sort of ship coming. Um, and they find that it is commanded by the masked man who contacts the crew and attempts to make a deal with them. Um, we cut to the Gatlerhorn ships, um, Gileo and Ayn are basically, uh, recouping after the battle and Ayn wonders, uh, if he could defeat Tekadon, if he had the Alea Vignana system, um, Galileo says that would be disgusting and make him inhuman and, you know, more of that stuff that we've kind of seen come up around this. Um, in response to this, Ein's like, I, I am used to this kind of language cause I'm half Martian. Uh, I faced a lot of discrimination because of that. Um, I was allowed to join and become a, a Gatlerhorn soldier. Um, but faced a lot of like, uh, you know, discrimination from other soldiers. Uh, Which and seen. also, yeah. Uh, and then also reveals like part of the reason why he cares so much about getting revenge for Kronk, uh, is that he specifically treated Ayn as, as an equal. And, um, we kind of get this like, oh, by your own merits, you can prove yourself and rise to the ranks. Um, so we can maybe have some thoughts about that, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we cut back. Uh, the masked man is meeting with Kudelia, Naze, and Orca, um, and is offering to help provide them safe and reliable transport to Earth uh, in exchange for rights. So there's like 
various discussion stuff happening here. But one of the things is uh, we get this term half metal after the rebellion, um, which doesn't really get explained, but uh, basically seems to have some vested like whatever be happens, an important resource. Yeah, whatever happens, I get some sort of important resource. Um, and uh, also it's like a gesture they provide some supplies to Tekadon. Um, in private, uh, Orga is noting that uh, he still isn't being seen as an equal by uh, Turbines and Tewaz. Um, I forget exactly what it is that uh, was sort of obscured from him that like they weren't that uh, Naze wasn't surprised to learn, but that he was, and that like Naze hadn't clearly informed him about like various relations. Um, so uh, Orga sort of says like, we need to do, we need to change and do something else if we're going to be recognized as equals. Um, uh, we then get a scene with Biscuit, Orga and the masked man roaming the hallways of the ship. Um, Mikazuki comes along and uh, I don't even think that, uh, the master man says anything at this point. I think he just purely sees it like, which to, to us watching does kind of look like McGillis. But he immediately goes, Oh, it's the chocolate man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is just what he's referred to uh, McGillis previously when they've like fought. And I think there's also a little bit of something happening here. Um, that is like, uh, at the very least playing with the new type trope. Uh, Mikazuki is like very good at immediately recognizing other people when he fights them in, in, uh, various mechs. Uh, this has come up previously. So, yeah. um, but there is like an Amuro char thing where it's yeah. like, are you just like psychically, you have a bond with this person. Yeah. And so you just like, you know, are you have like heightened awareness around them. Yeah. Of them. I, this is this is just like a small side, and I don't have too much to say about it. But I do think it's interesting too that uh, Mikazuki we often see eating like it seems like prunes or something. It's like some sort of dried food. Um, yeah, or just like of, um, whatever, sort of, like yeah, like ration supplement. thing or something. Yeah, ration thing exactly. Yeah, uh, and so that, but then he thinks of uh, McGillis's Chocolate Man, like eating chocolate, like this thing that would be like more rich and. Um, you know, isn't, uh, for isn't it also he he gave chocolate to uh, the yeah. like biscuits sisters, yeah, to Cookie Is and that, Cracker, yeah, yeah, when yeah. They, when they almost ran them over. Um, but I do think that like specifically like chocolate, and then one of the the main things that we see of Mika is this like, uh, thing that seems like it's probably sort of like a, a bland or basic food. Definitely. Um, yeah. Is, is notable. Um, the, like the thing he associates is chocolate. But, um, anyway, the, the masked man, and I'm still going to say the masked man, uh, <laughs> cause again, we'll, we'll get, uh, next episode, him like asserting his real name. Um, but the masked man informs them of his aspirations of reorganizing Yatlahern. Cause basically now they're like, Oh, if you're McGillis, aren't you like associated with Yatlahern? Uh, and he's like, well, I want to reorganize it with the help of, of Tekadon and Kudalia. Um, yeah, it's and, corrupt. I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Um, we can have some thoughts about this, but definitely a Char thing happening here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. He puts on the mask to work with the the Gundam protagonists rather than taking the mask off, but uh, very similar. Yeah, he, he's the guy <laughs> who is like, he has an axe to grind against like the evil regime, but he's still like, you know... Uh, he he has like 
an uh, an axe of unclear origin to grind with the uh like regime while still being like you know a noble and like very high ranking in the regime um, yeah. and having like no practical reason to to be mad but he has some like deeply personal problem uh issue that he's like trying to get revenge for yeah and it's also like very secretive yeah so a lot of char <laughs> a lot of char happening here yeah um i yeah i don't I think we'll get to like the next one and we'll really have stuff to say about uh McGillis slash Montag, the the masked man. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I think the masked man's like intentions are still very uh secretive, even yeah. from us as as like an audience. I'm um, I'm I'm extrapolating just to like Yes. Yeah. To the, um, the association connection you can make. funny. Yeah. yeah, the associations that you can make when you have a Shar character who's doing all this stuff. That's definitely a part of this. Um, this is playing with an awareness of of Shar as a character. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, he, he's also like, and uh, y'all know about, like, McGillis now. But, like, just keep this on the down low. <laughs> 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 shh. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> I'll, I still haven't given you another name to call me, but shh, it'll come later. <laughs> yeah, just uh, call next me. Episode. Call me the company that I work for. Yeah, or that I own, or something. Yeah. Um. Anyway, as news of Kudelia's broadcast begins reaching far and wide, uh, Tekadon continue along their routes of like or their routines of training and repairing their mobile suits. Um. While the the new Gatlerhorn forces prepare themselves to pursue Tekadon, so we get this introduction. Have we gotten her her name yet? Carta, yeah, Carta. Okay, um, yeah, we do get Carta at least in the the next episode. I don't know if we do in this episode. Um, we haven't seen her mech yet. I know that. I I do like her mech a lot. Um, I've been waiting for the the gunpla of it to get back in stock, but I won't send it to you yet unless you really want to see the spoiler. But no, we um, can wait. Yeah. Um it's cool though. Um maybe we'll talk more about something that we we brought up earlier when it shows up. Uh anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, we see we see like Carta and her forces and uh I'm just going to say she's a double Zeta character. Like suddenly oh, okay. a double Zeta character shows up, you know? Uh-huh. Is she uh, is she a Haman Karn? She's she's a little bit of a Haman Karn, but she's also a a little bit of uh uh Kiara Soon. Um okay. just in terms of being like a really over the top woman, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um Yeah. <laughs> uh yep, just that, like the way that, that she sense. behaves is like far more comical than I think like any character has been so far. Uh even in these episodes that we see. Um yeah. agreed. Yeah. There is like a I, I noted that of um that her like unit and all the stuff around her is like more of a throwback, like comic. Um, It it felt like some of that stuff in like double Zeta. Yeah. Double Zeta just feels like the pole here for like this tonal shift that happens (laughs) when she enters the scene. Yeah. Um, But especially in IBO, it's like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I do like her, but it is also, it does feel like it just comes out of nowhere. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Um, So anyway, uh, 
while this is happening, uh, Atra finds Kudelia still reeling from the unexpected death of Fumitan, uh, and also like struggling with this possibility of like, am I going to make this deal with this master man and his, his corporation, the Montag company? Um, and, uh, Atra's like, we need to talk more. Um, and basically says that she wants to, to be someone who could Kudelia can rely on for emotional support. Um, if this whole section, I wrote way more than the synopsis because they didn't care about this at all, <laughs> even though I think it's really important. Um, so yeah, she says, uh, you know, we should talk more. Uh, I want to be someone you can rely on, but I know that I'm not that reliable of a person. Uh, and it's specifically when she does this, like sort of denigrating herself and saying that she isn't reliable, that Kudelia breaks down. Um, you get this great and, shot of the Kudelia's tear, like floating yeah, across the, the space between them. Yeah. Um, and she says that actually she's the unreliable one um, around this, this time. Uh, so Atra had, had come to bring food, uh, but she didn't, she couldn't find it in her bag. Uh, and Mikazuki comes along and is like, Hey, you forgot this. Um, and, uh, you know, Atra encourages Mikazuki to, to hug Kudelia. It's just something in love, like, you know, when girls cry, they should have a guy comfort, comfort them. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Mika goes over to, to sort of like hug and comfort Kudelia. Um, and then Atra starts crying and then like Mika pulls her into this group hug configuration. Um, and she's a little bit surprised and Mika's like, you said that when girls cry, a, a guy should comfort them. So <laughs> I'm comforting you too. Get in here. Um, and then the, the episode ends with Kudelia meeting with Orga and Nase to confirm that she will indeed take the Masterman up on their offer to pursue the goals in uh, their goals. Um, and this is also, she's like doing it like Fumitan died and I like to save me and I want to keep pursuing my goals. Um, mm-hmm. I want to honor that death by doing this. So, uh, even though it's, it might be, a uh, uh, an ideal, um, situation to get into and they're, they're going to do this as their, their current only option to get to earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, episode 19. Oh, unless you had, well, I was just going to say, you you can tell that I'm going to have thoughts about that that scene with Kudelia, Atra, and uh, Mika, but we'll, we'll do one more episode, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Okay. Yeah, I would be disappointed if you didn't. So. Yeah. Um, episode 19, The Gravity of Wishes. Uh, Atra helps with moving cargo and remembers her embrace with Kudelia and Mika uh, and states that she is going to do a revolution as well. Um, so this is what you mentioned earlier, the way that she kind of says like to do a revolution. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the way that it's done in the subtitles. Um, so translate into English. I think it's, it's more like childish or clunky. Yeah. Um, in the, I know it's, I think it's like revolution. Oh, Suru, um, in Japanese, which I know is a, a very common, like verb formation in Japanese. So I don't know if yeah. it's the same, like um, if it has the same dent uh, in actual Japanese that it does, like when it's translated, um, but just playing it out there. Um, anyway. Um, meanwhile, Kudelia encounters Mika uh, on board the ship and asks for a handshake. Uh, so, you know, Referencing this early scene between them, 
Uh, when Mika says his hands are still dirty, she replies, mine too, uh, with everyone's blood and actions, um, but I'm proud of these hands. Um, and they finally shake. Uh, the masked man, he uh, finally, has, he's he's now figured out the uh, the new name that he wants to go by, which is Montag. Um, also the name of the company that he appears to be working for. Um, and Orga's like, come on, man, like Montag. And he's like, no, on- honestly, it's my real name. Like, seriously, that's my real name. Um, so I guess we'll see, uh, about that. Uh, meanwhile, Gallahorn forces led by Captain Carta issue are preparing an assault on Tekadon. Uh, do you remember what the, her like platoon or whatever, like what her regiment is called? Um, they keep the, the comedic devices, them like saying it over and over having like, a uh, like a rehearsed way of. Um, let me, let me see if like I can reciting like, it. Pull this up. Um, yeah, it's like uh, overly long. Um, yeah, I wrote it down in my like paper notes, but I, I didn't put it in the. Here it is. Uh, the Outer Earth Orbit Regulatory Joint Fleet. Okay. Yes, that. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, that those that group is preparing uh for Tekadon's uh, arrival. Um, because they've set up a blockade outside the planet. Um, after a conversation between Carta and Gailio, um, the latter mentions to Ayn that he grew up with Carta and Megillus. Um, so we get a very interesting flashback um, where we see all, the three of them as children. Um, uh, it's and- suddenly Ray Earth flashback for a second of someone up in a tree and another person going to talk to them. <laughs> Yeah, and someone showing up in a limo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all rare th- <laughs> all rare stuff going on here. Um, Not the limo, but sim- similar vibes. <laughs> yeah, no. no. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, uh, but uh, th- this flashback also kind of establishes um, the young Carta seems attra- attracted to the young Megillus. Um, uh and then, you know, young Megillus is, like, exactly what you'd expect. This brooding, like, you know, um, blonde bangs, you know, yada yada, writing a limo. Um, pretty much everything that we know about Megillus uh, now. Yeah. Um, we, uh, immediately after this flashback, we kind of cut to Megillus uh, in his, like, point of view reflecting on the past um talking about um stating that once you know uh someone's history you can predict their future decisions um but also talking about um it seeming to express this um lack of belief in like the possibility of change um or that um the yeah, future yes. seems bright, but really, like it, it only, um, it only uh, becomes used to like clean up the past, where it becomes used in service of, of the past. Yeah, he has a uh, certain uh, fatalism, I think. Yeah, at least being um, expressed here. But uh, concluding with uh, him 
uh, to, to himself secretly imploring Tekadon um, that if they truly believe that um, what they're doing is progress, then they should show it to him. Um, I think yeah. this is probably the most um, substantial um, interiority that we have gotten from Megillah so far. Yeah, the most um, characterization. Uh, but it's also the moment where, like, if you have thoughts, uh, I'm happy to have you talk about this stuff. Uh, I will sit in my hands as the person who understands his past, his history, uh, and will just uh, abstain from commenting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, unfortunately, I was hoping that, that we wouldn't have to defer Megillus again, but I think we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I kind uh, of knew that that we would need to. Um, yeah. on, I honestly thinking about like I think we'll have some stuff to talk about next time. But also when I think of him as a character, uh, a lot of that stuff happens more in the second season. Yeah. Um, so, um, but nonetheless, like he he appears to be in this space where, um, yeah, a, a certain fatalism about um, the possibility of not. Um, like recapitulating the past or, or, uh, you know, creating a new type of future. Um, but also a desire to, to see it happen. Yeah. Um, the, uh, anyway, the Tekadon ship encounters the Gellarhorn blockade, um, with Eugene captaining the Isaribi instead of Orga, uh, and they begin engaging in combat. Uh, Eugene is piloting, um, the ship directly using the, uh, Alaya uh, Vignana system and manages to gain the upper hand um, through the super girly chaff smokescreen. Um, It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all to, pink and glittery and gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why does it have to, just because it's reflective materials doesn't mean it has why to does it have to reflect light, reflect so light. Yeah. <laughs> um, just come on, come on with that. Um, I guess I'll, I'll can't they also have add, a, a less uh, visually distracting thing to distract and cover up the visuals? Yeah, yeah. Can it just be like, <laughs> you know, can it just be more like stern and and sullen? Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'll also, I'll just add here because, um, I don't think it's in the synopsis. They're also using the brewer's ship. So it's like two ships tied together. Yeah. Um, and, um, anyway, they, they use like this kind of arrangement and the, the chaff smokescreen to cut through the blockade and ram the orbital station, uh, Gladschmere one, uh, Gladsheimer. Ma- Gladsheimer. It would, it would, it would, it would be, uh, Hammer would be the, the, uh, like Icelandic, the old Norse. I wasn't actually uh, listening Glass to Hammer. the, to, for the name in the, yeah. the audio. So Glad Gladsheimer. Um, yeah, I'll just go with that. Uh, the maneuver provides an opening to launch a space shuttle towards earth with Kudelia, Atra, Orga, and a number of other members of Tekadon aboard. Um, however, Galileo and Ayn see through the distraction and attack the shuttle. Um, and they're luckily held at bay by Mikazuki and Barbados, uh, Akihiro in the Gujin rebake, and eventually Laughter and, and uh, Ozzy in uh, two 
what are now called Ruen. Um, but they're really uh, remodeled uh, Hyakuen um, because the t- uh, turbines don't want to advertise that Tewaz is getting involved in this. Yeah. They're like, if we showed up in Yakaran, people would know. And so we made some modification. You can still see it's like the same base model, uh, but now it's the Rowan. Um, and I I like both the Yakaran and the, the Rowan. At some point, I might finally get a Rowan now that it's been so long since they've built a Yakaran. But at first, I was like, that's just going to be the same build for half of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you've spaced it out now. So yeah. it should be okay. Um. In the midst of the battle, Mika fights Galio one-on-one and almost delivers a fatal blow with Galio's own weapon, um, but Ayn blocks the blow. Uh, once again, he uh, saves uh, Galio um, and is severely injured. Um, Galio flees with Ayn's ejected cockpit as Montag shows up in his own mobile suit uh, to help Tekadon fight. Um as they're kind of beginning to enter the Earth's atmosphere. Um, the fight continues as the descent to Earth begins. We get this absolutely classic um, re-entry scene um, that <laughs> comes up again and again in Gundam. Um, so definitely um, stuff to say about this. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the shuttle... Um, the dilemma here is that Mika isn't able to, uh, I think Mika's like not supposed to enter. Um, it's not clear exactly what the plan is. If he's supposed to like get in the shuttle somehow with Barbados with uh, Barbados or yeah. if he's not supposed to reenter. Um, but in the course of the battle, he gets like sucked in. Um, so he can't escape the earth's gravity. Um, and he ends up surviving by using an enemy mobile suit as shielding um so uh mika and uh everyone in the shuttle um land safely on earth uh in the final moments of the episode uh mika recalls his conversation with orga as a child uh where orga told him that they would someday um that they would go somewhere that's not here um and also that they would find the place where they belong um, but they would only know where that is when they see it. Uh, yeah. And um, the last shot is, or the kind of last scene is uh, Mikazuki seeing the crescent moon, which is his name, Mikazuki, uh, and reflects on finally being able to see his namesake. Yeah. Um, also... Uh, a note of um, Montag here. Um, we do we. He shows up in the the like fight too, right? And then yeah, he leaves. does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't think we got the name of it, but that is the the Grim Guard. Uh, that's the first gun plus like kit that I ever built. Um, okay, so. got it. That's yeah. your favorite one in in uh, IBA, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, it's you only see it briefly here, but um, one, it's got these like swords that come out of the little like arm shield things, um, and I kind of like it's like it's a little bit knight, but it's also like a little bit of like a bunny or something. Uh, it's just got a cool look to it, so hmm. um, I was excited to see it. <laughs> um, 
As a note, yeah, uh, it's cool. Yeah. Um, as a note, episode 19 also ends with um, uh, a different ED. It's only for this episode. Um, it won't be back next time. Um, but I'm going to finish the this episode of the podcast with it uh, since it's showing up here. Uh, next time it will be like the normal ED too. But um, we'll, we'll get in this one special uh, insert song. So I guess nice. it's not an insert song, but, you know, special one-off ED. Um. So yeah, um, shall shall I just start with the the Kudelia Atra Mikazuki thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So that this is a thing that uh this was the thing I I think I got most irate with, um when I was like looking at this review thing, which is them just like describing the scene as being like uh you know Mika like basically gets to have two bitches or whatever um and i was like wow. the, yeah nice yeah one is that like that is just like steeped in a its own uh extreme misogyny um but also that i think this is like a really key important scene for what they've been doing with these characters that uh the the like place that atra has has come to is this one where she is not viewing kudelia as competition um but also like kudelia isn't fully in on what atra is doing yet um like atra hasn't had a conversation saying like i came to this conclusion looking at the turbines that uh <laughs> if we're we both love mikazuki and mikazuki loves both of us that's fine we can just like have that that um arrangement oh uh, she hasn't said that explicitly but here's this moment where like very intentionally um even though like the two of them are being set up as like quote unquote romantic rivals for Mikazuki and that in, in many shows um, this sort of configuration gets played as the, the love triangle where the two girls are jealous and competing with each other. This even happens in harem, uh, harem anime. Uh, this happens all the time where various girls will be jealous of each other um not quite as much because it's not like feeding quite as much into the the fantasy or whatever um but like that that is part of the trope is that like uh this arrangement causes conflict between the girls um and that's part of what's like sometimes the main conflict of a show or something Mm -hmm. um but Looking at like the the harem arrangement that the turbines have, Atra has come to this like conclusion that is pointing towards uh, like a, a polyamorous relationship to have, and because of that, when she, she's one constantly, we've seen and we've talked about in like you know our previous discussion episode, we get her reaching out, and here we get like the most uh, explicit like she is going, she is talking to Kudelia, and she is saying like very intentionally like i want to be a friend to you i want to be someone who you can rely on and talk to um i want to like strengthen a relationship that i have with you um in a way that would not happen if you were following normal tropes of a love triangle um and and at a certain point is able to actually like break through and get kudelia to cry um and in fact, like when Mikazuki comes along, this arrangement can become a, an entirely supportive one where the the characters are actually able to, I mean, Mika's not crying 
yet. There's still like gender happening to some extent. Um, but they are able to have some sort of like actual emotional support occurring uh, for what's going on uh, in a way that I think might actually be genuinely helpful for these characters. Um, so yeah, this is, this is just like a, a part of the show that I actually really enjoy. And that I think is um, like interesting and, and worthwhile. Uh, and it's also a part that I like get a, uh, particularly like a chip on my shoulder about because so often it does just get painted as, oh, it's the male fantasy. Uh, Mikazuki gets to be with these two girls. Um, and I just think there's more going on here about like showing how in this uh, difficult, you know, they are like preparing to go to war over a revolution. They're uh, yeah, Asher is already building fighting space. a war. In yeah. They, already fighting a war in essence Atra is like building the space for uh like emotional support and emotional care to take place um and not allowing some of the the common tropes of genres that like necessitate the conflict between is like being able to break through that conflict that is expected between women often um in order to create something that is like more supportive and, and helpful and uh, healing for the situation. So um, she's yeah, doing I, it. She's doing a revolution. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I agree. And um, the, the one thing I would add to that is. So, so much of what you said is like, um, is starting to unpack like the heroism of Atra's character. Um, yeah. Which you alluded to earlier as well with her kind of like self-sacrifice. Um, but the heroism of her, of her character is, is really, um, I think it can be understated um, in the show, like so far, um, but all very, like very much portrayed and uh, important. Um, but the other th- thing about this um, that that I see is Atra's decision to like trust Kudelia, yeah, um, is very important uh, because it ties in to like trust and faith is um, at least in my read w- one of the other. Uh, like one of the predominant themes uh, of the show. Uh, and we see like the importance of those things um, manifesting in, in a lot of different spheres. Um, and then a lot of different um, relationships. Uh, and we also see over and over again, the consequences of um, when they're functional uh, and when they're not. Um and uh the fact that Atra like I, I think fairly early on, um even before she has like come to this real the realization that you're describing, um, that they can have like a polyamorous relationship, she makes the choice to to trust Kudelia um as like someone to confide in. Um and someone who, like, obviously Mika is uh, incredibly important to Atra, 
Um, and when Mika and like Cordelia are starting to gravitate together, um, Atra seems to make a conscious choice that like, oh, I'm going to let this person have access. Uh, I'm not going to try to interfere with this yeah. person having access to the person that I care about most. Um, and I'm going to trust that this person is like, ha- has good intentions or is not like um, trying to do harm or whatever. Um, so the like extension of faith um, and, and trust um, that Atra is willing to like provide, you know, it eventually grows into like what we're seeing here. Yeah. Um, but the willingness to like believe in someone else um, is uh, is a key component of this and ties it to, um, for instance, um, Orga and Mika, um, which is like this kind of seed uh, that um, I think we talked about in, in the first discussion episode or maybe last time. Yeah. Um, that the Orga and Mika relationship is like this model or seed of like um, faith in another person um, that enables like all of this a revolutionary action um, or possibility. Um, and then we get, uh, there's a lot of stuff here around Kudelia's, um, like Kudelia and Fumiton, for instance, um, the idea of faith. Um, and the consequences of that. Um, so I think in addition to like standing on its own merits as something that's highly significant, um, Atra's like, um, acceptance of an advancement of the like polyamorous, uh, relationship is also like another, um, it's reinforcing this like trust theme. Um, that's, that is, um, kind of like an overarching thing. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, I'll just, I'll go ahead and say, uh, about, uh, Ina and Fumitan. Um, the dynamic here, um, so we learn about like Fumitan's background, um, that she was also um, like born poor on Mars and suffered as as a um, like a and suffered in poverty, um, and then had like encountered people like uh, Ina who had this um, uncritical or like naive idea um, of like justice. Um, and then those encounters like failed her over and over again. So now she's like um, jaded or she can't believe um, in, in the possibility of anything different. Um, so she's like waiting for, um, you know, Ina's eyes to cloud over. Um, she's waiting for this dynamic to like repeat itself. Um, and um, desiring it in this kind of like, self-destructive uh, or self-fulfilling way that this is like um, she can't allow herself to believe because um, you know, the pain of having that frustrated is too great. 
Um, but uh, when when Ina like kind of completes the arc that she's completing in this this section of episodes, um, the fact that like Fumitan's betrayal does not uh, like break her tr- her own trust and faith. Yeah. Um Ida like proves that she is <laughs> this figure of trust and faith um that Fumitan like hitherto couldn't believe in. Um hopefully that yeah. that formulation kind of the way that I'm saying it is not too wonky. Yeah, um, I think that I think that makes sense. Uh, uh, and, and also that um in in the end Fumitan is making is like Despite all the betrayal and all the doubt, does do this self sacrifice in the final exactly. moments, um, which I think follows from um, the the sequence of events leading up to it. Um, yeah. like her recognizing um, by uh, Ina's response to like her betrayal, it's kind of like the final confirmation. Um, she finally realizes that like this um ideal or this possibility that's represented by um the maiden in the book um that Ina could actually be that um and yeah. in that moment she's finally able to access uh this o- her own like conviction uh and her own emotions um which lead her to do that self sacrifice to protect Ina yeah. um so um uh, again um, I just want to call that out as like the Aina Fumiton thing um, is also a, an important component of the uh, of the trust theme, and um, I think maybe to try to um, distill it down, uh, there's something that the show is doing with like faith and trust um, in others as like a a foundational piece of like any revolutionary possibility um like like this in and of itself is a uh maybe not in in and of itself is revolutionary action but like is an essential component um and and therefore it it war it it um it draws so much focus in this series yeah um I think I think another thing too that's coming in with the stuff with especially Fumitan, um, we sometimes get like almost keywords that get introduced. Uh, you know, last time it was family. Um, also maybe reincarnation is kind of this key mm-hmm. keyword previously. Uh, one that we get introduced here is responsibility. Uh, this is a mm-hmm. thing that Fumitan talks a lot about, um, and we see Mikazuki start talking about some too. Um, I think Mikazuki is the one who who sort of uh, starts thinking about yeah, Kudelia talking. and Mika. Yeah, yeah, both of them um, around sort of what happened there. Um, like, what is their responsibility? Um, so, uh, yeah, a, a note there. I don't have like a, a a ton to say about everything that's being developed there, but. Um, I mean, I think this is also one of the things that's factoring into that decision to uh, go along with Montag for right now, um, mm-hmm. even if it's, uh, 
you know, with hesitation or, or trepidation um, to, to like still like follow through on the responsibility of, um, you know, pursuing these goals and, and uh, not having the like deaths that already happened come to naught because they just give up. Um, so uh, the yeah, other think- thing about, about that, um, which I, I guess I don't really have a, a very coherent um, read, but the thing that stood out to me about that is like the idea of responsibility um, to me is something like ideological. Um, yeah. Like at, at any point, uh, your sense of like responsibility, like a, what that means uh, and then also like what you're responsible for um, it is linked to like ideological content. Um, and so all, all of these characters, like the, it what's also recognition of um, your position in like a structure and in relation to others. Um, so the way that they like conceive of their own responsibility Um, it seems to kind of reflect, uh, like things happening ideologically. Yes. With them. Yeah. Um, another thing in all this, just to, to pivot, unless you have more on this immediately, uh, to bring up is, uh, we get some stuff with Ayn. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how you read the ending. Uh, is, is Ayn dead or not? Um, I, at first I thought he was dead, but then they like, you know, they, they showed the escape pod being like ejected and everything. Yeah. So. And Guy Leo taking it. Uh, this yeah. is another so thing I'm that assuming I, was, he's not. I was scoffing at in this, uh, this recap, <clears throat> which is one thing they were complaining about is that uh, usually like in the episode or maybe an episode before or maybe two episodes before a character dies, you start getting a bunch of backstory about them. Um, they're like, oh, they should be spreading out all of this characterization more and uh, having the, the deaths be more of a surprise. I'm like, have you watched Gundam before? <laughs> um Gundam has been death flagging who's going to die in the episode by giving you a backstory about the character at the beginning of the episode, uh, since like basically the first season or like the first series. Um, but anyway, I was then especially laughing because they're like, uh, and then it's so disappointing that in just like the episode where you finally get Ayn's backstory, he immediately dies. And now we don't get any more of him. And we're like, they, they show you it like ejecting and Gileo running off with the, the, cockpit uh have you watched a gundam before (laughs) (laughs) yeah normally that means that they're not dead yeah uh you don't have the person run off with the cockpit um if and then you get the scene of them like it could be the cockpit later and it's like oh yeah he's dead yeah so we can't save him i mean it still could be next episode uh you know ein is like in a, a hospital bed and they're trying to treat it and he's going to die and he still gets some final words or something, <clears throat> you know, you might still get the scene and the character is going to die soon after. Uh, but you don't do that without having it, at least planning some additional scenes. So that's what we're going to um, do when we, in our Gundam <coughs> fanfic, we're just going to have like multiple times. It's going to be like, 
our death flagging is going to, we're just going to reverse it completely. So our death flag is going to be <laughs> when they don't die immediately on the battlefield, but their cockpit gets ejected and then it gets like recovered. That's yeah. when they're going to, yeah, that's, that yeah. means they're going to die. And then it will be like, in the hospital. it'll be two episodes later. You'll be like, what <laughs> happened with that character? They must gonna, be like planning yeah. a return and then it will be, uh, yeah, we just couldn't, we just couldn't bring him back. Sorry. Yeah. We're going to prolong it. <laughs> For like each successive time that we do it, we're gonna prolong the like death timeline by one episode. Yeah. The first time is they open up the cockpit and they're like, "Oh, he he died. He's yeah. dead." Uh, and then there's gonna be one where it'll be like uh, six, seven episodes of just the character in a coma, and you're like, "The character is gonna wake up. It, they just have to," and then just you know, dies. Just yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, um, but anyway, I so I yeah, do think that's gonna uh, be fun. I don't. I don't know what you. I mean, I I know more of what's going to happen, but I don't know if you have any initial. Uh, you know, we we finally get this thing that's sort of been gestured at throughout um, the the series so far with like Ayn and um, you know the the stuff the going racialized like, discrimination against yeah the Martians. racialized discrimination also bodies and like Galileo's uh, disgust with body modifications um all of these sorts of things sort of coming in finally like coming together into like a a, a scene about it rather than it all kind of being um sort of on the sidelines or happening in like brief asides um yeah i mean i guess this is something that i feel like after every um discussion episode i'm, I'm always like how do we miss talking about this um, yeah but I mean, it's like the show is also um, it, it's dealing a lot with like colonialism, obviously. Um, you know, here there's an, that's another classic Gundam theme. Yeah. Um, but and, uh, and imperialism. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is like all, you know, obviously um, falling under this like umbrella. Um but like colonialism and imperialism, um, and then the relation of race and bodies, like to those things, yeah. Um, or how like, um, so you know the, yeah, the stuff with Ayn, where like, we see under this colonial regime that, um, you know, being Martian is racialized, um, and then we see like, Ayn's experience of that. Um, there's the scene where, um, he's being like the other Gallahorn troops are calling him like a monkey or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, then he's speaking about it, um, in, I can't remember, uh, which is it 18? Yeah. 18. Um, and then, you know, we, we've also tied this in with like, um, the way that bodies are shaped by the like colonial regime, um, through like the um, at least like economic coercion of these like implants, um, and then also stuff like um, malnutrition and and things like that. Um, I think all all of this um, 
I guess to, to like state it simply, um, even these are all manifestations of like the colonial regime, um, yeah. shaping like, um, bodies and like shaping like, um, ideas of race or like, uh, racial discourses and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think also the thing that's happening with, with Ayn in relation to all of this is, um, we've had various like responses to this, the suppression. Um, and Ayn as, uh, one, as someone who, who potentially has, I think some ability to pass, uh, is one of the things mm-hmm. that is happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he is like, he is intentionally aiming for, uh, like assimilating with, you know, Gatlerhorn, like the yeah. ostensibly his oppressors, um, and trying to move up through the rank and and gaining personal uh, power. He he doesn't really express any uh, concern for like the people back home. He he has a very uh, individual, I think, mindset towards yeah. like the the discrimination he's facing. It is a thing that he has to struggle against uh, in order to rise through the ranks and succeed within the society. Um, he, in in contrast to a lot of the other characters, uh, is in no way sort of. Um, necessarily resisting the systems he is just trying to find how to navigate it to get ahead as much as he personally can um and i mean this is a thing like Krog being someone who uh treats him as an equal but is also espousing this idea of like uh success through merit you know uh yeah. like if you are a good soldier that will shine through and you'll you'll succeed in that um, the, like the talented you know the talented 10th or whatever Yes. Yeah. Um, and so this, this is a part of why, uh, like, I, I don't think, uh, I think like Ayn has lost a certain amount of class consciousness, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. and, and it, it really aspires to become just like a part of Yatlahern. Um, and, yeah, and has this like if, very personal sense of like wanting revenge. Uh, yeah. And, and, as you're saying that, um, I also think, you know, we could venture a reading. Um, I think the characterization um, in IBO is um, is like largely subtle enough and um, and deep enough to like allow us to to make this a credible venture. Yeah. Um, but I think you could venture to say that like. It seems like Ayn is kind of like sublimating a lot of his like anger and rage into this whole like Kronk revenge thing. Yeah. Where he's like continuing to carry this. And as he goes forward, it like it's almost bizarre that Ayn isn't responding to all of this like the the more of like Gallahorn that he sees, um, like he witnesses this this massacre, for instance, and he knows because he's in the like bridge, um, he knows that it's like completely staged. That this is really just like this horrific crime against humanity. Yeah. Um, but then it, there's it, almost this amount of like uh, Einan Gallio objecting to it on the grounds that it's like not honorable combat. You know. Yeah. 
uh, less that it's like a, a massacre of oppressed people and more is just like, uh, we should still kill them, but we should kill them where they have live ammunition and can fight back because that's the honorable thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I, I wouldn't do this because this yeah. is like, yeah, but it is, um, it's dishonorable. Not it is. Uh, um, it's not like, like you shouldn't be allowed to do this. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. But, because but even if they not... had weapons, uh, you would still be the, the boot of the oppressor. Uh, there, there's no association there. It's just, um, you know. Oh, when we subdue the the masses, we we should at least give them a a fair fight. <laughs> yeah. Um. um but I think I don't know where things are going to go with Ian. He might just die in the in the infirmary next episode. Yeah. Um so maybe this like whenever this isn't what's going to happen. Um but I think at this point in time um you could maybe say that like he seems to be getting more like more mad about the Kronk thing in a way that doesn't really make sense. Um, as he's like gaining more perspective yeah. as a on, like rational reaction for him to be having. Yes, exactly. Especially as he's gaining more perspective on like all of the shit that's actually happening here. Um, and I think because we see that happening at the same time that we're getting more like directly from him about like discrimination and race. Um, I think you could, uh, again, I think you could like venture a reading that like, okay, well something's happening with Ayn, um, psychologically where he's like, as he's confronting this stuff, he's getting angry, but he's like sublimating that anger into this like convenient um into this convenient box of like oh well yeah. i still have to kill tekadon because like because of kronk um and honor and whatever um and and is still frequently uh sacrificing himself to protect galileo uh a man who although he has a certain uh, you know, I think looks up to, to a certain degree, they have a certain amount of relationship is also a man who, uh, like in that conversation, um, guy Leo's even like, are, are you basically saying that I'm like those people who would call you a monkey? Uh, because I, I'm like <laughs> yeah. disgusted at this idea of body modification, um, is like somebody who, who is far more aligned with the people who have treated him poorly in his life than, uh, even like Kronk. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think another thing that's happening with Ayn here too, um, some of this comes into the way that the episode parallels things, because uh, a big thing of of what Ayn's talking about with uh, sort of his backstory um, is, of course, Kronk treating him as an equal, and this is being um, sort of his intention or or goal. Uh, he wants to be equal with with these uh, people who are currently above him, um, and this sort of gets uh, pretty directly and quickly paralleled with Orga. Uh, Orga wanting to be seen as an equal by the mm. turbines and Tewas rather than uh, Gatlerhern. But I think it is emphasizing a, a certain um, potential like uh, conflict or something that could become a downfall for Orga, which is, um, you know, to, to what degree is he actually invested in? And we, we keep we saw this with like the news crew and everything. Um, the The way that he's less invested in 
uh, rebellion or revolution or these sorts of ideas and more invested in success and uh, growing and becoming equal of, uh, you know, not uh, Gatlerhorn, who seems to be the the most like significant oppressors in, in this, um, you know, universe, the the IBO universe, um, but is still other factions in this world is kind of what he wants to like be an equal to. Um, yeah. So I think there's also a certain amount of like Ayn being there as a, a, a cautionary foil. parallel and foil yeah. for Orga. Um, something to, to give you a little bit of pause around Orga uh, if you don't already have some, some pause there. So um, yeah. Um, good. Yeah. That's a good, uh, that's a good point. Um, I hadn't, considered that but, and i think there uh, are other people in tekadon who are who are like orga here as well who are more hesitant or just in it for the job but um orga being sort of the leader of tekadon um is obviously the focal point for this so yeah um i'm i think i i mean there's there's always more to say yeah uh, luckily we have a lot more discussion episodes um the the last point that i wanted to make was around this re-entry scene. Yeah. Um, these come up again, and again in Gundam. It's uh, like the double one Zeta of, one might be my favorite one. The double Zeta yes. one's really good. Um, yep. um but like the, this trope is, uh, this is an amazing trope. Um, I love that it comes up again, and again in Gundam. And I love that we have like, uh, that we can talk about it as like a trope. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I don't have a whole thing about this, but um, like I alluded to earlier, um, you know, in Gundam, there's always this sense of the like gravitational pull of Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little bit of a pun because um, there's like a psychological pull yeah. uh, of Earth. It, it there's, the, this- there's the whole, uh, you know, uh, humanity is always pulled down by Earth's gravity. Um, exactly in this like more ideological sense exactly um, i mean and and you know we've both seen enough uc stuff to like this is termino gives us enough of this to where we don't have to like uh, recapitulate it <laughs> yeah um this is a big part of gundam um and i think the the re-entry scene uh one of the things that fascinates me about it is um not only is it like um kind of dramatically staging this like threshold or this liminal space um between space and the earth um and and it it is like super cool <laughs> how it yeah. does that the dramatic staging is amazing um, yeah uh, uh he Mikazuki, like, also just to, to add to how cool it is, is, like, surfing on an enemy mobile suit. Yes. <laughs> like, you say, like, shielding, and you could, like, imagine, like, holding the body in front of him as he's, like, you know, falling. Uh, but no, he's, like, standing on, uh, you know, in in the... The actual um, suit. Yeah, the barbados. Like a surfboard. Like, yeah. And just, like, surfing down. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... You know, there's this like playing with the this liminal space, this dramatic staging of that, um, and then also 
there's like a literalization uh, or um, to, to put it another way, um, there's like symbolic significance of the danger of the reentry um, that like crossing the, uh, the liminal space is somehow dangerous. Um, but also the earth's pole itself um, is dangerous. Um, so um, like somehow that, that desire uh, for the earth or whatever this phenomenon is, because it's clearly much bigger yeah. than um, in, in the world, in the world of Gundam. Um, it's clearly, uh, you know, so, some really enormous, significant phenomenon. Um, for whatever else it is, it's also like dangerous. Um, so then there's this, um, kind of important, um, this important and recapitulated, uh, trial of like the chosen boy, um, having to endure this and then, uh, surviving it when like, you know, scientifically he, he shouldn't or whatever. Um, and so we get that again here. Um, so there's something, uh, I think there's a lot to say about this. Um, but I'm not really, uh, (laughs) prepared to unpack it all beyond (laughs) what we've already said. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think one of, <clears throat> and obviously this came up, but like one of the the key things that's happening here in this series, uh, one, this gets tied to like basically the first. We we get more of that scene, but like literally the first scene of the entire series, um, where it's the the moment of like Mikazuki pulling the trigger, and we've sort of gotten more of it revealed over time, um, but we get this thing of like, you know. Someday we'll go somewhere that's not here. How do we know when we're there? We'll just kind of know when we see it. Uh, getting contrasted with the thing that, you know, I guess it's a little bit ambiguous, but is this Mikazuki knowing it when he sees it? And what it is, mm. is him seeing the Mikazuki, seeing the, you know, um, what is it? The three-day moon, the crescent moon. Uh, yeah. And... It specifically being like the, the idea that the thing that he is seeing, the thing that he is named after is an astral body, but an astral body in a way that you can only see it from earth. Um, that when you are in space, you are going to see the moon as like an object in the way that you don't, when you are on earth looking up and you see it being partially eclipsed basically by the earth, like the, the Earth's shadow is being cast on the moon and is creating the shape of the crescent. Um, in a way that if you are like actually out in space and looking at the moon, I, I am assuming that there would be, um, more of a sense, you know, if you're getting close to the moon, you'd have more of a sense of the object of the moon with a shadow on it rather than the moon being like, formed into a crescent that the 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 shadow like cuts away from the moon rather than just being a shadow on the moon um and so yeah like specifically the thing that he is named after um is a thing that is about space but that is from a very like earthly perspective and this is the very first moment that he is able to like view something from that earth perspective um yeah that's an excellent point um, and I think that's a, uh, I'll, I will, um, resist the urge to try to add on to it and just let that stand as, um, as it is. Yeah. 
Um, do we have more stuff that we, we want to touch on? Um, uh, if, there's always like, more stuff. Yeah. There's always more notes here, but I think, uh, I feel like we keep wanting to, to talk about Mikazuki, but also, um, his, his character development is often like sort of subtle and then the background and we don't get like a, a super clear extra development on this, like, um, enjoying killing that sort of came up last time. Um, yeah. So apologies to everyone in the discord. Um, I said that we, that we'd probably talk about Mikazuki more in this, in this discussion episode. Um, and that was clearly premature, uh, because I hadn't, Watch the yeah. episodes at that point or prepared for this discussion. Um, so we will at some point, I, I hope. Um, yeah. I mean, if we don't get the, the like aha moment, the obvious character development, uh, then we'll just, we'll just talk about it at some point. Uh, yeah. We'll just make it happen. But before we get to the end, there, there'll be a moment um, and I'm not saying this with like foreknowledge, um, but like we, we will talk about, I think as we get towards the end of this series, there are probably a number of characters that we are just going to touch on and be like, how, where has this character ended up? Um, even if it's yeah. in like the final episode or the, you know, penultimate discussion episode or whatever, um, we'll, we'll probably end up having some of those talks. Uh, one thing I will say is, um, I think Mikazuki is often a, a disliked Gundam boy in fandom spaces. Uh, I know in the past that I've said that Mikazuki is kind of boring, but I think in an intentional way, um, I still agree that I think like intentionally Mikazuki is not necessarily boring, but like, um, it is kept at a remove in, in a lot of scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like an, an intentionality in, um, keeping him very subdued, quiet, um, somebody who can kind of, uh, despite being like ostensibly the protagonist can kind of fall to the background sometimes. Um, I, I think there's something intentionally happening there. Uh, and in this watch through where I'm paying far more close attention to all the characters, I find Mikazuki so much more interesting than when I sometimes watch this previously. Um, also just in terms of like, when I think of my favorite, uh, Gundam boys. Uh he's no judo. He he's no like <laughs> judo's still like uh judo and Loran are just like tied for my favorite Gundam boys. Uh they're just great. Um but at this point I might be I I might like Mikazuki more. This is also possibly recency bias influencing this, but like more than Camille maybe. And that's maybe. including Cam Camille like in Double Zeta as well, that whole arc. Yeah. Okay. That's also. I mean, if I start including Shri Klein, mm, this is tough. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll have time do, to think about it. Do you remember the Shri Klein thing? Uh, maybe not. Now that you, now that you <laughs> are, uh, are so there's it like out. there's like one episode where Camille goes to uh like a, a colony or something. Uh, I think it's like the episode where he meets for, um, but uh, is being like followed around by Jared, but he like has a fake ID that says Shree climb on it. Um, and it's just, it's like so ridiculous. <laughs> so hmm. um, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. I must've forgotten that 
that bit. Um, but I don't know if that would, uh, if, if that substantially changes my, yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm just sending that. It's oh, just like, climb it's just AJT. such a funny, uh, <laughs> it's just such a funny episode. Um, I really love that episode just like for like a certain amount of camp reasons as well. Um, yeah. Zeta has that. Um, yeah. it becomes a little more pronounced in double Zeta. Uh, the stuff with a... four too, we're just like, uh, it's just like, we're just running like arms stretch through the city and stuff. It's yeah. I yeah. enjoy that stuff. It's great. It's so good. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's what it, that's what it is to be a new type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You meet a that's girl and you're just be. immediately running through the streets with your arms, uh, wide while the background sometimes changes to other locations. <laughs> that's what it could be if it weren't for the tragic weight of you know yeah if we weren't everything. held down by earth's gravity <laughs> yeah exactly the, the <laughs> inevitable like uh you know warfare that's gonna make us kill each other uh because we're also also because we're new types um so yeah, yeah. but uh anyway um i think that's that's all all my thoughts um for yeah. now also, um, I'm. Yeah. Also, I'm running out of steam, so I'm yeah. not um, able to. Uh, well, we'll we'll do. Yeah. There, <laughs> I'm not still... able to complete senses. <laughs> is what I was trying to say. There, there's still time to to talk about Mika and McGillis and all of these. Um, not to keep pushing certain characters off, but uh, the series kind of does that too. So. Um, yeah. I think we're done here. We're we're both tired. I'm ready to go to bed. It's hit okay. midnight here, which means yeah. it's one where you are. So, um, yeah. Uh, next episode, we will be watching <clears throat> and discussing episodes 20 through 25. So we'll finish the first season. Um, looking forward to it. Uh, I think there's a time skip after this season. I, I know there's a time skip at some point. Oh, I love time uh, There skips. might be another time skip, but I, I think there's at least one after this season. Um, but uh, I know there's one like towards the very end. There's like a big time skip, but we'll get there. Um, anyway, uh, if you have any emails for us, please write them in to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. When we get to the end of the series, we'll do like a big question bucket, but people can send stuff in now. Uh, but also feel free to send in like little emails like Juliet did. Um Love it. If, if, uh, it's sort of relevant to bring up early, we'll bring it up early. Um, you can, uh, please go and support the network. Uh, if you go to exportodd.io, that will take you to the Patreon. Uh, there's a links to like the free feeds for all the shows there as well. Uh, so you can just find various shows that way. Um, or you can give us money to support the network. $1 gives you, uh, early access to a number of podcasts, um, not ghost divers, but um, some other ones. I know. I know one thing that people also like about it is that it's just a lot of stuff is in like one feed, um, and so you don't have to like follow a, a bunch of different podcast feeds. Um, and that also means that often when there's like a new show on the the network, you'll just sort of automatically get it, and you won't need to to seek it out. Um, so uh, that's also sort of a benefit that I know a lot of people like. Um, but also, if you do $5, you get um, Pop Down Funk, which is a podcast that Autumn and Nora 
do where they roll a random Funko Pop and have to watch something from that media franchise, um, as well as uh, the bonus episodes. So uh, basically there's like a free episode and then a, a Patreon exclusive episode, um, at least one of each each month for coffee and comic books. Um, if you like this podcast, I think that people would also uh, enjoy coffee and comic books. They... Um, when they're doing like longer comic book series, they're breaking them out into episodes sort of like this. Um, and they're definitely, they have their own ways of talking about things. Um, but I, I, I think there'd be a lot of crossover. They do manga sometimes. Um, but they also, Rick knows like so much of just, uh, you know, Western comics, like European comics, American comics, um, that aren't just the, the big ones that everyone always reads. So, um, yeah, definitely worth checking that out. Um, and the, those bonus episodes are great. Um, in all of this, I also want to just do the the big plea of uh, if you are enjoying this podcast or if you enjoy other podcasts on the network, um, tweet about us, uh, like retweet the promo tweets, um, tell your friends about it, things like that. Um, we don't like advertise places. So really the only way that people find out about this uh, podcast and the stuff we're doing is by word of mouth. Um, and honestly, that's probably more effective, uh, for like amount of work versus the amount of people who actually decide to do it. If they actually have a friend telling them to listen to something, um, probably more successful than getting a promoted tweet on Twitter. Cause I know I block like basically every account that I see a, a promoted tweet from. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> cause I just, no just um, out of principle yeah out of principle <laughs> yes <laughs> um so anyway uh yeah please do that like spread the word um i think we've been doing a lot of good work on the network broadly um and this is a a like iron-blooded orphans i feel like compared to some of the series we're, we're doing i'm like putting more work into this just because it is um a series that I think demands a little bit more. And also Gundam is like a thing that lots of people care about. So, um, I would love to, to see, you know, people promoing us. Um, if you, if you enjoy our work. So, uh, now that I'm done with the heartfelt, please, um, go listen to pondering Putan. It's our jokey podcast. You and me, Connor, uh, we sit down and most of the time you try to remember a movie that you watched. <laughs> It's just increasingly yeah. becoming what that podcast is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like, Shree Climb. What movie is that from? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, isn't that the, the name of Emperor Palpatine? Isn't that his, <laughs> like, his, his other name? Shree yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, and uh, he is in, um, gosh, what is it? Emperor Palpatine. Why can't I? If I if if I hadn't tried to remember the name of the movie, I would have I would have known it. Yeah. Um. Um. Oh, um, I oh think um, it, there's something about Empire. Uh, st- no, Is no, it, it's, um, it's Star Fox sixty four. No, no, that's not right. Star Fox sixty four. No, no, because it's about Empire. So I think I think Emperor Palpatine is from Indiana Jones and the Empire of the Crystal Skull. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I've seen that one. Because I know uh, Harrison Ford's in it. So what? that's 
Yeah. So that's Indiana Jones, right? Like what Indiana else is Harrison Jones Ford is, been in? Indiana, Indiana Jones is Nicolas Cage. No, you're thinking about <laughs> you're thinking about um National Treasure. No, 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 no. No, that's also Nicolas Cage. But Indiana Jones is Nicolas Cage as well. The Da Vinci Code? Nicolas Cage. Mm. <laughs> um, I am legend. That's also Nicholas that's Cage. Will right? no, 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 that's Will Smith. No, no, no. No, that's Will Smith. You're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Easy yeah, that... mix up though. You can see how I made the mix up. Yes. I uh, yeah, no. Understandable. Um, um anyway, if I you want a podcast I mean... where we actually know about movies and talk about them, you can listen to Ornate Stairwells. <laughs> Uh, which is me and Autumn doing a movie podcast. <laughs> Just ending yeah. this bit now because I'm. It's tired. all it's it's all Nicholas Cage movies though. Yeah, make sure you tell people that. Um, and if you want a podcast where we talk about medieval stuff and I say words like Glasshammer, you can go listen to Around the Long Fire. Uh, that one is not on Export <laughs> Audio. Glashmere one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glass Streif climb. <laughs> Um, around the long fire uh, if you go to abnormalmapping.com slash long fire it's me and M of Great Gundam Project so uh, they have not gotten IBO yet but they're doing lots of Gundam over there Um, we are reading through Icelandic sagas and we talk about them for about like 30 minutes to an hour and then for at least the same amount of time we just bullshit about other stuff Um, so it's a fun podcast Um, Glashmere is really good on um on a bagel. Oh yeah, I love it. Um yeah. Just a little uh, glass in there. Yeah, the glass schmear and then you get it with a like you put a little extra glass. Well no, you, you do you do a little sprinkling of galler. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I know I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And some some shaved that horn, uh, that horn galler. Yeah, and and some shaved uh vingles. Okay, yeah. Uh, you mean uh, v- Visionolf? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alea Visionolf. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 need to end this. Um, yeah. Go follow us at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter at Ghost Divers on Co-host. You can follow me at Fox on Nia on Twitter and Co-host. Where can people find you? Y'all can find me at Rebelays on Twitter and Co-host. Um, and that's it. We're done. That's all. Yeah. There's definitely not 40 minutes of us talking about nutrition after this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. See you next time. Bye.
Also, do your time dot is. Yeah. I've got time dot is ready. Yeah, part of why I'm totally fine abandoning time dot is for、uh, Putan is just the the、uh, outro is like so speedy. And then there's just that gap where I throw to you to like say where people can find you online. You can,、uh, yeah, you can see can those just, spaces. Yeah, and it's like very predictable because there's just like me talking a mile a minute. And then suddenly a gap, and then there's you talking right、mm-hmm. at the end.、Uh, then we say class dismissed. We don't bullshit at, after ever or anything.、Uh, so it's very easy to just use that to line it up. Yeah.、Um, okay, let's do 36. Okay. This is my first time clapping with、um, my compression gloves on. I don't know if you could hear it.、Mm, I couldn't really tell. Okay. Well, do you uh, uh, do you just wear those at night or? Oh yeah, yeah. It's again, a, it's a little um like so, deafened. Yeah, just so uh, people at home can like isolate out mine too. Hear what、yeah. that kind of sounded like. Um, sometimes I get I get hand pain. Um, it's unclear to me if it's related to the same thing that uh I get like. Cramps in my feet all the time,、mm-hmm. um, or if it's like arthritis or something.、Uh, but compression gloves during the day sometimes helps,、um, and then at night sometimes I do the the like splints or whatever when I sleep.、Um, but I、that、don't really,、sense. I don't. The splints sometimes help, but not quite as. I feel like the compression gloves sometimes help more. So I don't know.、Hmm. Um. Unclear exactly what it is. Anyway,、uh, we should do a drink check, but before that, I'm gonna send this over to you. Okay.、Uh, so right before hit record, I, I was briefly talking about how、uh, we finally got to the concert Zaku, and you weren't sure if I'd shown you this.、Um, I'm gonna send this in chat,、um, not in the Puton chat, just our regular chat.、Uh, did I send this to you before? No. <laughs>、uh, did I explain to you that the Zaku shows up in Seed Destiny? I don't think just, he did. Which is like an entirely different timeline,、um, and it, it shows up. So this looks like a different timeline. It it is an acronym <laughs>、uh, in Seed uh, Destiny, um, where so the Z stands for one of the factions in Seed Destiny, which is Zaft Z A F T, which is itself an acronym. Okay.、Um, <laughs> so Zaft is Zodiac Alliance of Freedom Treaty. And then、uh, the A K U is Armored Keeper of Unity,、uh-huh. <laughs> Zaku.、Um, I think it's just like an appeal to like older fans who didn't like Seed to like put the Zaku in there.、Um, and I will admit, if I like, in terms of gunpla,、uh, the Zaku Warrior is still cool. There's a as a fan of the Zaku.、Thing. Yeah, there there's is a har- haro on the shoulder. 
Um, this, this one has only appeared as like limited run stuff. So it's hard to get. Um, I kind of want to, even though like most of it is just stickers, you know, mm. that like are getting applied. Um, but I still kind of want it just because it's ridiculous. But so this like finally showed up in the, the show, uh, spoilers for see destiny for people. Are you okay? If I spoil a little bit, Connor? Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine. So, uh, there's a girl who shows up in uh, Seed in, like, the first series. Um, her name is Lacus Klein, and she's, like, queen, princess, whatever, a space. Like, I don't think she's actually royalty, but that's the vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she has, like, this magical singing, basically, that, like, uh, inspires people and, like, has certain, uh, like, in the way that, that uh, Seed has all sorts of different like powers that people have, but like never really comes down on is this related to the whole coordinator versus naturals like main conflict? Because uh, sometimes it seems like it's only coordinators can do this, but then they break those rules constantly. Um, there's like a seed burst thing that they still haven't really explained, and it's basically just like uh, if a protagonist is in a lot of trouble, they can use it to then get really powerful and get out of trouble. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, Lacus Klein sings and she sings like these like sort of uh slower uh ballads uh they're like hopeful or romantic things like that um in seed destiny someone uh found a girl who has a voice similar to uh Lacus's, and then i don't i think that like she's undergone surgery to now look like Lacus klein or something <laughs> okay but her name is mir Campbell, but she is posing as Lacus klein because Lacus klein uh started like the the secret fbi but they've basically done nothing with her being in charge of like the, the cia fbi the secret whatever. fbi yeah the like secret okay. like uh you know it's like a cia fbi kind of thing but they really haven't done anything with it in the 40 or the 20 episodes that i've watched so far uh, of sea destiny so the princess Uh, of space started the yeah secret fbi and so she's been out of the public eye and so uh mir campbell is posing as lacus and so in episode 19 she gives a concert in this like dancing next to this pink Zaku. She's not piloting it while dancing it, which I'm also, I'm disappointed that she hasn't got it gotten into it. I hope that she will get into it and pilot at some point, but I'm not hopeful with just like how little they did anything with it when they first introduced it. Um, I knew that this was coming. I knew that there was going to be a concert. Uh, I knew that, um, it says Lacus Klein alive on it, but then if you looked at the details for the the gunpla uh, for the Master Grade, it said that it comes with a small figure of Mir Campbell, and the little small figure looked like Lacus Klein. So I knew that there was some sort of doubling happening. Uh, all of this stuff is things that could be thematically interesting. Yeah, I'm it like, also how, happens, how is this show bad? Because it just doesn't do anything with any of this. It like has ideas, but then it never goes anywhere with any of them <laughs> and will like drop it immediately and then have a different idea, but then not do anything with that. Um, anyway, uh, I know I'm describing this and it sounds more interesting than it actually is in the show, which is just wild. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. You're, you're totally telling me these, like each thing that you're telling me is All like, okay, this stuff makes you excited. None of these things are, are bad so far. Another thing with Mira Campbell that gets revealed here is that instead of her doing these like uh, romantic, uh, like more uh, ballad forms of songs, she does like poppy uh, idol music where there's like the idol chants that people respond. If you've heard any uh, Rhythm Heaven 
music. Some of it's kind of like that, where like there's the part where the crowd goes like, "Hey, hey, hey, hey!" Like uh-huh. in response to you know call response kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's that kind of like idly poppy stuff. Um, and so she's doing that. There, there's like other things that you could be talking about there, but even this configuration only just kind of appears as like Mir Campbell seems to like sex in a way that Lachis Klein doesn't. And is thus an evil woman. Uh, cause this show just thinks that, like female sexuality is inherently evil. Uh, this is a thing that it was doing with, uh, Flay and it was why I, I thought Flay was interesting. Cause there was like ways that you could have done something interesting with her as a character. Um, and it like brushed up against it, but it, it just like thinks that women are too inherently evil and terrible to have like ever actually said anything. Uh, and that was my big frustration with seed is that there was like something in flay that I was excited about and it would occasionally brush up against, but it never like, uh, it was too misogynistic to actually achieve anything. Um, but this wow. is like even more service level than that. And it, what, it like is a... literally like two, two minutes. You see this concert and then they're just like, get the fuck out of there. And it's just different, more, more pointless plot. So I, I was so mad that it finally showed up and it wasn't like the entire episode is about this concert. The whole episode should be about this fucking concert. <laughs> wow. What a fumble. Yeah. You, you like have barely this... see this Zaku. You barely see it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like. With just the elements, if we just started from the elements that you, like, just laid out, like, with, you know, Lachis and and all of that. Yeah. We could make a really good show. Yeah. In, like, like 10 minutes, we could make, like, 70% of a show that's, like, at least passable. Yeah. (laughs) So, that's that's a pretty big fumble. There's so many points where I'm, like, there's, like... Is the reason why this got really popular is that they come up with ideas, and even though the show doesn't do anything with it, if you want to like create fan content, you can take it and run and do interesting things yourself with the idea that it like briefly came up with and then forgot about. <laughs> yeah, is that why it was super popular in Japan, uh, and then also fairly popular in the U.S., but not in quite the same way because it was hitting like more around the time of other Gundam stuff. So there's mm-hmm. you have like a. A lot of uh, Gundam fandom in the U.S. I feel like is like more condensed than Japanese fandom, fandom, which has like far clearer generational divides. There, it's starting to happen in the U.S. now as time has passed. But like, um, you know, Seed had no chance of beating Gundam Wing because Gundam Wing was just most people's first Gundam. Uh, I, I know there's still a lot of people who are like slightly younger than my generation where Seed was the one for them. But um, I feel like Gundam Wing persists as like the great show in American fandom. Um, mm. And it was mostly because it was just the first time anybody saw a Gundam show um, for a lot of, you know, uh, a certain, like, you you hit a certain generation and then everything above. It's just... Yeah, I mean, that might have been me. We still haven't figured yeah. it out. Yeah, we haven't. Uh, that might be applicable to me. Um, it, just so I know, did you finish Victory? No, not yet. Okay, you're still in it. I'm still in um, it. I am eight episodes away from the end of turn a that shows incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. It's, it's a fantastic, fantastic show. Um, and then I think when I finish that, I'm going to do like F91 Stardust at memory and, uh, victory. And then at that point I am, uh, technically caught up with you, but I'm also have watched stuff beyond you. So, yeah, I think um, you're probably from a overall standpoint, you're probably ahead of me. Yeah. Um, in total now. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I've seen wing, but I want to rewatch it. 
Um, I'm currently watching G Gundam. Um, Gundam X is also on the horizon for both of us. Neither of us, neither of us have seen Gundam X. Um, yeah, I need to just buckle down and just, and go through victory. It's not that I'm not enjoying it anymore. Um, because I am, it's just like, I think I'm watching less anime right now in general. Um, and then like doing IBO. I don't know. I, I think I just have a weird thing with like. It's like too much competing Gundam for you. <laughs> or like now that I'm aware of the need to like complete victory and I'm not just like doing it in a vacuum off in like darkness by myself. Yeah. Like it's now like in relation to. Like it's in a time relation to this other stuff. Then it's it's just like killed my motivation because now i feel like uh whenever i go to watch it i'm like i'm watching this to like finish watching it yeah. um, instead of just like i'm organically just watching through this because i'm like you know this is my personal thing yeah um so i just need to gradually shift my headspace back into whatever something else what it, either yeah. what it was or something else so i can and it will happen like, I know what's going to happen is, well, also one other nuance to this is we were doing IBO, obviously. Um, and so then that's a lot of, like, thinking about Gundam. Um, and there's another part of me that's like, uh, I don't want to, like, mix my Gundams, you know? Yeah. I'm watching IBO and I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to, like, be processing IBO while I'm also trying to like process victory for what for what that's doing um yeah at some point the end result of this is going to be like i'm just gonna sprint i'm gonna get like completely embedded in victory uh like surge through it till the end and then i'm gonna be super pumped about g gundam and probably like have a good pace through g gundam and then hopefully i'll just continue like going through after that Gundam's going to be radically different. Um, I have an idea now. Like, you told me a little bit about it. You had me watch the OP. Um, and then that, like, matched more or less what my idea was from a couple sentences yeah. uh, before. And I'm still, like, like I, I want that. Like, what I think it is, like, I kind of want to watch that show. Um, yeah. even if I don't know how I'm going to assess it, uh, I still like, I- I'm kind of excited to watch it. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a change of pace. Definitely. Um, I know that, uh, Tomino, uh, I think Tomino has said multiple times that like G Gunham is one of his, uh, favorite things that like other people did with Gundam because of how little it was like trying to do anything he was doing, yeah. how much it was just taking it and doing its own thing. Um, so yeah, I've been, it's, it's like a, a far goofier fun time for the most part. Um, I guess I'll yeah. say, but it's, it's a nice thing where, uh, I have the dubs dub on, but also I have this, the subtitles, um, 
And so I have the dub on because I'm like usually watching it while I'm doing other stuff. Uh, but I, I keep the subtitles on even though they don't match the like dub dialogue because sometimes I want to look and note like because uh, the dub changes a bunch of names mm-hmm. um, notably. Uh, so it's like because this is actually a weird thing of uh, in the U.S. it coming out after Gundam Wing. But Gundam Wing had issues selling Del- uh, Death Scythe Hell, one of the the uh, like Gunpla models, um, in places like Walmart because it had Hell in the name, um, and so there's yeah, we don't like, like the, that. Yeah, the and so there's States. like the the Devil Gundam, and I think it's just like the the Dark Gundam or something is what they call <laughs> it instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think they do Dark because then um, there's like. Uh, DG, which is like the the dark genes or like devil genes or whatever, but they can like keep the acronym. Um, but yeah, and then a number of the other names get changed. Like I think the God Gundam gets called something else that's even funnier because then the G Gundam doesn't even make sense anymore. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so some of it is just so I can like see that. But there's also just random ones where like uh, I think the Lumber Gundam is what it's called in. Um, in the like original, and then the dub just calls it the Grizzly Gundam. Um, okay, that's that's in the same spirit. Yeah, it's in the same spirit, but it's one where I'm like, why are you even changing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What uh, reason could there possibly be? Yeah. Um. um anyway, all right, drink check. Yeah. Do you want to go first, or shall I? Yeah, I'll do. I'll do mine quickly. Um, okay. I have water, and I also have uh, Formosa oolong tea. Um. I've drinking uh pff, nice good 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 way to start here before we even start recording uh yeah um i i have had uh a good amount of it at this point but it's it's good i still have about half a mug um and half a mug is a lot because i'm using my um my favorite mug that mm-hmm. i don't i don't have to introduce at this point yeah people know it um <laughs> I had the thought of uh, selling it as merch for the show. Oh my god! Yeah, we should just buy like a shitload of them from the Creation Museum and then just like sell them. Mark them up. Yeah, mark them up. <laughs> <laughs> I um, want. I like. That would be such a, a an amazing achievement for Ghost Divers to get a cease and desist letter from the Creation Museum. <laughs> because <laughs> we're especially if we were like uh making replicas you know i bet we like could maybe it, yeah no, we should sell them for cheaper whatever, that'd be harder but we yeah should, we should we should replicate it and then sell it for cheaper is what we should do yeah but only a little bit cheaper so we're still making money yeah or like just like a little bit slightly higher than cost you know we're basically just yeah. like we're gonna flood the market with these knockoffs <laughs> and uh until the the creation museum yeah you know we'll slightly change some of the writing us. on it where it just talks about like there are only five kinds of animals. <laughs> yeah i'm just um, gonna like we're just gonna like add a whole replace like dogs with something weird you know yeah just like you well, know. we'll get the six kind on there. Yeah. We'll get the apocryphal six kind of animal on there. Yeah, presumed <laughs> extinct. 
Um, I've seen one of these. We're I've just seen gonna, one like, of them. It will just make all of them foxes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. The the just various different types of foxes. Obviously. Yeah. We'd be like cute fox, sleepy fox. Um, very sleepy fox. Very sleepy. <laughs> Quiet fox. <laughs> Strong fox. Um, loud fox. <laughs> loud fox. <laughs> I was going to say bratty fox, but that's all of them. Yeah. It's a fox. I mean. Yeah. You know, it's the very, the very sleepy fox is like the least bratty. Um, but yeah. Do you have any other drinks or, or is it just no, that that's and all. water? That's all. Just the oolong tea and water. Okay. Um... So I have my water, my, my two things of water. Uh, I just, while we were talking, while we were recording this little uh, bit for the post ED section, uh, finished drinking some black tea. Um, I made a pot earlier today um, and this tea like reheats fine in the, the microwave I find. Um, so I just reheated some because I was feeling a little bit tired. Um, and I have it in, so I have this mug that uh, it's sort of like a, it's white, but it's not like a glazed white. It's just kind of like the natural white color. Um, and then it has this like black uh, sort of like they, they did a line down it of like a black thing and then uh, sort of swiped it to the side. So you can get this like brush mark effect. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't. I think this ex- description is more vague than you realize. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of a, a like. You kind of just get this like black brush mark on like a, a um, white background, but it serves just like a blank white. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of like actually appreciate that um, the inside is glazed, so you can clean that out a little bit more and you don't get as much of like the staining, but the, like the outside kind of develops staining over time, uh, but it just like kind of gives it texture. So oh, that's like nice. visual texture, not uh touch with your hand texture but mm-hmm. um but yeah um at some point i'll probably like put some vinegar on this just to like get some of the worst stains but um uh but yeah it's it's like my mo- my common uh i'm having a bunch of black tea mug i like this mug okay. um yeah. and then as i was getting ready to record uh emily handed me a glass uh she's she said it was a highball I'm not actually sure what alcohol she put in this. I think there's some Lillette in it, but I don't know what else. I don't even know um, what a highball is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, like, the you know, definitionally or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's like whiskey, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good enough for me. Uh, but it's like tall and with like you, you put some sort of carbonated mixer in it and it's in like mm-hmm. a highball glass um but there are like multiple different types of highballs so this is why i'm confused like technically a gin and tonic is a highball oh okay yeah now it's too complicated yeah. for me yeah like a scotch and soda is a highball so it's, a rum like, and it's Coke not even is a like, highball okay so it's a category it's not even a specific yeah okay yeah um but and then she also gave me because uh, she had grabbed some club soda, but it was flat. Uh, so she opened up one of the sparkling water. Um, at this point, we just 
not because of the the branding, which I think is ridiculous, uh, but it, I just enjoy their flavors. Like the plain flavor uh, is pretty nice, um, and then a lot of their other flavors, um, like their their uh, lime or lemon lime or whatever flavor is really like their citrusy flavor is really good. Um, but it's a, a sparkling water brand called uh, Liquid Death. Part of why I also like it is it comes in like a tall boy can, you know, like the the 16 mm-hmm. ounce ones or like 17. Yeah, um, I've seen this brand. I didn't realize it was sparkling yeah. water. I thought it was just um, like normal water. Yeah, they have one that's like a regular water too. They have like a still one, but most of it's sparkling. Um, but like the marketing around it is like ridiculous where the side is like, uh, you know, once cracked open, no thirst is safe from liquid death. After right. ritually so dismembering hardcore. its thirst victims, this brutal can of water used to sever body parts of dead thirst to build itself a flesh that's suit. That's not what it used says. To disguise. Yes, it does. It does not say that. After ritually dismembering its thirst victims, this brutal can of water used the severed body parts of the dead thirsts to build itself a flesh suit, which it used as a disguise to get a job in marketing. That's what it says in the can. I hate the, I hate the like design. I mean, the, the, the image of it's like fine, you know, like Uh, you just look at the can and there's like a skull on it and stuff. It's like, whatever. Uh, but like whenever I read it, I just, I cringe at it. Uh, but I, in terms of just like flavor, it's just my favorite. Yeah. Flavors. I mean, I guess it could be so, worse. Yeah. Um, I'm always slightly embarrassed to like have it in public though. <laughs> um, but she gave me what yeah. was left of it. So of left of the can. So I just have that in here too. Um, yeah. I'm trying to like guess what demographic besides you is mostly drinking this brand. And I'm having a hard time. Everything I come up with, I'm like, no, no, no. So I, I second guess it. Um, when I went to the Brandy Carlisle concert, this is what the venue had for Waters. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so, I could see that. Yeah, but yeah, I think like that was a more of the venue, venue thing, like yeah. the concert venue, rather than like Brandy Carlisle specifically. Right. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I could see like concert venues having this. Yeah. yeah, that would be a very powerful statement if the venue like switched to selling Liquid Death specifically for the Brandy Carlisle concert. Yeah. <laughs> now then you then you'd be onto something there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I hate the the marketing of it. Uh. But I just I do just like the flavor. Um. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's drink check. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm gonna go get some. Yeah. The, the, there is like a little bit of, um, sugar, I think in some of the flavored ones, uh, mm-hmm. like not a ton, but just like a touch. Um, but yeah, the, the like lemon lime one or whatever is, um, definitely my favorite. Some of the other ones aren't that good, but, uh, I like a little bit of like a citrusy one. Um, and it's nice to just like drink that instead of, uh, often when I want something bubbly, uh, which does sometimes help out when I'm like coughing because of my asthma. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to have options that aren't just like sugary soda. So, yeah. Um, and I, I don't truck with diet soda. Um, I don't like that, like fake sugar flavor. So, yeah, well, I think you're probably wise to do that. Although yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert, but the, there appears to be mounting evidence that, um, that stuff isn't the best for you. Yeah. Um, 
I think some of it that I, I was reading, uh, like, um, that I might be saying some research from our, <laughs> the job that we worked at that I read, um, or it may be an actual thing that I, either way it was published. Um, I don't know how I came about this, this, uh, published paper, but, uh, it was talking about, um, that because you are getting the sweet flavor, but you're not getting any calories from it, your body no longer associates that flavor with the calorie content. And so it can actually like trick your brain into not, um, having the same feeling of fullness when you have sugar that it should be having. Yeah. It has some like, like incredibly complicated adverse effects on your whole like gastric process. Yeah. It also, um, there was just a, well, I, I just, I didn't, you know, again, I'm disavowing the expertise. Um, but yeah. I did see that there's some research just released on erythritol, um, which is one of the common, like artificial sweeteners. Yeah. Um, basically just saying like it, it really messes up. I can't remember if it was the vascular system or, or what, but, um, it's it's like really not good. So, yeah. Um, I mean, drinking like normal soda also probably, not good. Also not good. <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, just I since mean, we're on the subject, sometimes, but like regularly having uh, many many cans a day uh, is just a lot of sugar intake. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anything that you're intaking in liquid form, your body is like less uh often going to get the same fullness yeah satiated feeling even yeah, so if you're, you're taking keep in calories so yeah um um nutrition anyway is like absurdly so i what little i know about nutrition and i've explored it like a few times just out of curiosity like i've started yeah. reading about stuff um it's incredibly fascinating because it's one of those things that like uh, at the high level, and I mean the the very like generalized kind of like um, practical applications level, it appears that a lot of stuff is like common sense and, and very well established. Um, but then, like, if you actually go in to try to figure out like why any of this happens, it becomes like like very little is actually known <laughs> yeah uh like how the like nutrition works and how the human body responds to um the stuff that we like consume uh yeah. or, like what processes are actually happening in the body um it seems like there's way more like in dispute and confusion over like things that are just everything <laughs> um then then you would think mm. um so but yeah it's yeah. like an incredibly complex field uh every like two or three months uh the, there'll be an article that's like uh the reason why japanese people live so long is because they eat rice and it's so healthy uh and then like two months later i'll be like eating rice is worse than eating candy yeah um and then like two months later i'll be like rice is the healthiest grain that exists in the world yeah um 
Exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I mean, the reason that, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, Japanese people live longer because they eat, like, all these pickled foods. And that's like, no, pickled foods cause stomach cancer. Like, that's why there's, like, more stomach cancer in Japan or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, like, um, it, yeah, even more, like, arcane stuff than that as well. But Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, red wine yeah. and chocolate is constantly always uh, healthy for you in moderation, and you should never have it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, else yeah, re- yeah, chocolate's good for you. No, chocolate's the most addictive food on earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah. And yeah, and so on and so forth. Um and the, the stuff with alcohol too. It's like, oh yeah, mm. you know, one drink of alcohol at x frequency is like good for you. And then it's like, no, no, no. But not if you're like, you know, a woman in Minnesota. Because, like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, um, yeah. This is it's... also reminding me of once... Uh, I forget who I got in this argument with. It, like, went on for, like, uh, weeks and weeks. I think it was, like, in high school or something. Um, I had these two friends that were convinced that you could, like, perfectly create, uh, like, the the exact meal for a horse where you could feed the horse and it would never like poop or pee and i was like and that you, like you could do this for humans too you could like create the thing that's like only what your body needs and not anything that your body doesn't need i want um, all of the context for like this whole i know you can't provide it but yeah i would just love uh, to see like every all of the details of this situation <laughs> where this is happening well and it first just started off with me being like the the dietary needs of your body are going to like literally differ moment from moment. Like you there are good standard dietary things, um, but also part of like healthy eating, which is a very difficult goal for anyone to achieve. Yeah. Um, especially in our society where everyone's fucked up about food. Um, because society's fucked up about food. But like some of it involves listening to your body and hearing your body say I need more protein right now because we're doing things that require more protein or, you know, uh, fruit is like, what's more appealing to me right now for whatever reason that your body is understanding. Um, and it's very hard for you to like have a body that's fully able to communicate and that you're fully able to listen to within our society. Uh, but like that in and of itself, you couldn't create like a single food that you would just feed a horse every day and it would never have to go to the bathroom or anything because the horse's body is going to have different needs at different times. Yeah. So then they modified it to being like, Oh, well, you know, you're taking like metrics and the food gets like, and what I'm like, now this is too, this is more costly than just dealing with poop and pee or whatever. Um, the amount of money that it would take to like perfectly craft this diet for a human being. Um, the toilet's not that bad. <laughs> In comparison. Well, and also, Um, like, genetics, you know, people's, people are, like, different. (laughs) Yeah. So you Uh, can't. But then, I I ended up doing more research into, like, the different things that your body needs. And I was like, 
No, you are all wrong because even if you're doing exactly what your body needs, your body needs water to pee because peeing is a part of like getting certain things out of your body that are byproducts of like processes that happen in your body unrelated to the food you're eating. Right. There's just yeah. stuff that your body does that requires to be expelled as waste. So you need the water anyway. Yeah. It's almost as if you one can't of the things you just need stop. for food is fiber, which is something that is going to be passed in that you poop out is a necessary thing for your body to like continue to work. <laughs> yeah. It's almost as if you like, it's a little more complicated, like yeah, <laughs> just completely ceasing any standard biological function. Yeah. Is a little more complicated than also your than your think. intestines and your uh everything is not going to like perfectly retain all nutrients that pass through. It is going to always be an imperfect system that would not get every single bit of perfect nutrient. Um unless you could find some like bizarre delivery method for it. So, yeah. 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 The, so one final thought on this, like <laughs> the other the other weird thing, so a, a huge like rabbit hole. I, I haven't actually gone down this rabbit hole myself, but I've peeked down it yeah. enough to just be like, whoa, like I, I don't ever want to go there. Um, the people who are really into like supplements. Yeah. Um, and are like, like, like the Reddit on like, you know, supplements or whatever. Yeah. And people are like, oh, like here's, you know, like various supplement routines and it's always like wildly complex you know like 20 supplements um and it's all based on this like you know within this like uh worldview and these communities of course there's all of this like knowledge that's been established about so it's engaging with all of this knowledge or responding to it um or maybe I should use the word knowledge in scare quotes because I don't know how well, yeah. you know. Um, but it's like, you know, 50 supplements or whatever. Um, and then I'm like, okay. You know, so the, the reason I looked at it is because there's a supplement that I was considering taking. Um, and then I looked at, I started doing research on that supplement. And I found these papers where it's basically being like, we literally have no idea like here's three possibilities when you take this supplement this is how it's metabolized and like we have no idea exactly what happens like chemically to this <laughs> once it becomes metabolized in your body like where it goes yeah. where it's metabolized what it becomes like but here's basically like three options that we think are are like the the extent of the possibilities but we don't know which one it is um, and I was like, okay, yeah. So, you know, and I, I guess it's more of like amusing realizing that I just like take for granted that that's a thing that could be easily found out when like, if, of course it's not, you know? Uh, um, yeah. To just ask like, oh yeah, you know, whenever we, if I eat this thing, like, just explain to me everything that happens to it once it's inside my body um, on a chemical level is like very complicated. Yeah. But I just always assume that that's just a frontier that science would have conquered a long time ago. Um, but no, turns out, turns out it's still really complicated. Yeah. Body too complex. 
<laughs> yeah, great. Um. Anyway, do we want to do the actual episode? <laughs> yeah, we probably should. Um, I guess we don't have to do the content warnings. So I'm going to remove this little... Not that it ne- is that necessary to remove it, but I'm going to remove that little reminder to myself. Mm-hmm. Do you need uh, a, a body break before you start? Um, I think I'm good for right now. Okay. What about you? Cool. Do you want to take a body break? I'm good. Okay. Uh, do we want to take a, a bathroom break real quick and then we'll we'll tackle uh, 17 through 19? Yep, let's do it. Okay. I'm back. Okay. So am I. Just let me know when you're ready. Um, I was just messaging Emma online because they are playing Chrono Cross, and as somebody who likes to to see all the content when they play things, uh, I think they're being driven mad by one of my favorite things about the game, which is that it's just like you can't do for, that. Yeah, because there's just all the characters and. You can't you can't have every character in your party all the time. Uh, you won't see their unique dialogue. Um, I mean, I guess if you like specifically know which interactions to bring people along for, you can see a lot of it. Um, but then you still have characters that you can't recruit b- based on your choices. So um, I, I struggle with that too. With like, I think that's a, a big JRPG thing because Final Fantasy does differently, but um, it's just like. If you don't know everything in the game, like when you're playing before you start playing, you will not like see everything. Yeah. Unless you like already know it's there. Um and so you just like end up missing a lot of shit. Yeah. And uh that drives me nuts. It is, it is honestly one of my favorite parts of Chrono Cross is that like um I've played it so much now that I think I've seen all of the content, but that is, that is like purely from me loving the game. Um, that I like have replayed it many times and sometimes just try different things. Um, but I love that it is a game where like very specifically if, if multiple people play it, they will have different experiences and they will. And some of that is like the very clear choices that the game asks you to make of like, Oh, do you, which of these three characters do you pick to go to this one place? You have to pick one guide, um, or whatever. Um, but the, honestly, the biggest thing, um, when I am like talking to people is is it's a lot of little things of like, Oh, did you put this one character in your party when you did this one boss fight? And then you got extra dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, did you know that that was there? And so people, but like when people first play it for the first time, people will, will be like, oh yeah, when I did this boss fight, like this happened. And people are like, what? It was different for me. <laughs> um, and I just yeah. think that's, I really enjoy that. Um, that is cool. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's like very intentional that, um, even though I think there's a lot of characters to care about that, like there's no there are very few characters who are like deeply invested in the main character's quest. Um, because I think the game is intentionally trying to be kind of lonely and distanced. Um, and so the fact that like people will join you and you can take them along and they will then be a part of it. Um, but even the fact that they have unique dialogue for certain things, it's like 
gives the vibe of like, yes, they are here because they want to be able to go talk to their dad or whatever, you know? Um, and like, you are somebody who will help them do that. Uh, but nobody feels like their mission aside from like kid, um, is like to help you and support you, uh, fully beyond just like, if you keep them around enough, then it feels like maybe they're your friend and they're just in it for the ride. (laughs) Um, There's a level of integrity in like that, that gives to the other characters. That's yeah. interesting. Um, where a lot of characters will be like, yeah, I mean, if you need me, you can like come find me, but I'm going to be like on this island doing stuff. Like <laughs> <laughs> I have a life. <laughs> um, I just, I enjoy that about it. Uh, anyway, I think we can get back into, into right, the episode. Let's do it. Um, <clears throat> so in, in terms of content warnings, uh, the biggest thing is that there's just like a, a further escalation of a lot of the, the violence, um, character death, uh, all that. Like, um, if any, if any of that stuff has been on the edge for you right now, it's going to get more intense. Um, also the stuff around like bodies and body modification, um, as well as like the prejudice against that, uh, is also going to get really intensified. So, uh, like all of that stuff are themes that have been happening, but the, uh, the knob's going to be turned up on it. Um, I feel like the other big thing is, uh, there, there's a brief image and like reference to suicide. Um, and we mm. talk about suicide yeah. both in that case, but also in like a sort of, uh, broader sense when we, when we discuss the episodes as well. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that stood out to you, Connor. No, I think that's, I think that is covers uh, pretty much everything. Yeah, um, you know, more of the same, but uh, worse and more intense <laughs> is yeah. the general vibe. So, um, yeah. All right, I'm hitting stop.